President Biden warning that a Russian invasion of Ukraine is still distinctly possible after Vladimir Putin said Russia has begun withdrawing some troops. The president at the White House saying the U.S. has not yet verified Putin's claims and that Russian troops remain in a threatening position. But the president also vowing to give diplomacy every chance and is warning about the risks to the U.S. economy. Also tonight, the historic settlement the gunmaker agreed to pay $73 million over the Sandy Hook shooting. How the victims' families are reacting. Prince Andrew settling a sexual assault lawsuit from a Jeffrey Epstein accuser. What the prince has agreed to do and what he says he regrets. The cross-country winter storm on the move tonight. Alec Baldwin facing a new lawsuit over the shooting on the set of Rust, the reenactment video released by the family of the woman killed. The young girl kidnapped more than two years ago, the secret room under a staircase where she was found alive. And the medical breakthrough, the first woman said to be cured of HIV. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. Good evening. President Biden in a speech to the nation today calling on Vladimir Putin to give diplomacy a chance in Russia's showdown with Ukraine. Russia signaling it will pull some forces back. The U.S., however, saying it's seen no evidence of that. In fact, President Biden saying 150,000 Russian troops are now on Ukraine's doorstep. Invasion, he says, remains distinctly possible. In some of the clearest terms yet, Mr. Biden laying out what is at stake, the human cost to Ukraine, the strategic cost to Russia, and a potential jolt to the American economy from disrupted energy supplies. We're covering it all from Washington to Ukraine, where we start with Richard Engel. Tonight, President Biden's bleak warning about the looming Russian threat on the Ukrainian border. An invasion remains distinctly possible. He laid out two paths, promising punishing sanctions if President Vladimir Putin invades, while saying the door to diplomacy is still open. We should give the diplomacy every chance to succeed. And I believe there are real ways to address our respective security concerns. It comes after a day of mixed messages from President Putin, who declared he, too, was ready for more talks, appearing with Germany's chancellor saying, do we want war or not? Of course not. And releasing footage of some Russian forces, including these tanks, being put on trains pulling back from the Ukrainian border. Acclaimed President Biden says the U.S. has not yet verified. But then appearing to dash hopes of a quick breakthrough. President Putin said the U.S. and NATO continue to ignore Russia's security concerns about Ukraine possibly joining NATO. And he accused Ukraine of a, quote, genocide against pro-Russian separatists who live in an enclave in eastern Ukraine. Hours earlier, Russia's parliament called on Putin to recognize the separatists' independence. Ukrainians today were hit by a disruptive cyber attack. It took the Ministry of Defense's website offline and locked up two popular banks. U.S. intelligence officials have warned that cyber attacks could be a precursor for a military invasion. Lester.
Richard Anglin, Ukraine. Thank you. We want to bring in now Chief White House Correspondent Kristen Welker. And Kristen, the president is warning that a potential Russian invasion could also be costly to Americans. What is he saying about that? Well, Lester, that's right. If Russia invades, the president has promised severe sanctions on the country, which is a major exporter of oil and gas. So that means if the U.S. imposes those sanctions, Americans could see already sky-high gas prices spike even further. Here's the president. I will not pretend this will be painless. There could be impact on our energy prices. So we are taking active steps to alleviate the pressure on our own energy markets. The president is now looking at a number of steps and is not ruling out supporting a temporary suspension of the gas tax if this all happens. But the president today making a point of saying he thinks a diplomatic resolution is possible, though officials here tell us they are still bracing for a possible invasion. Lester. Kristen Walker with that update from the White House. Thank you. We want to turn out of that $73 million settlement involving families of some of those killed in the Sandy Hook school shooting and one of the best known gun manufacturers. As Kate Snow reports, the families say it's about much more than the money. Today is a day of accountability. For the families of five children and four adults lost at Sandy Hook Elementary, a victory born out of grief. True justice would be our 15-year-old healthy and standing next to us right now. But Benny will never be 15. He will be six forever. A $73 million settlement with Remington, maker of the gun used to kill 26 people in Newtown. We hope that our lawsuit sends a message to the gun industry. Through court after court for more than seven years, the families argued Remington violated a Connecticut law by marketing an AR-15-style rifle to civilians. It was a path around federal laws that protect gun manufacturers from liability, which some legal experts say could now be a roadmap for future cases. In discovery, Remington sent thousands of internal documents, including campaigns geared toward young men equating gun ownership with your man card they were aggressively marketing to uh, young men who were potentially violence prone mark barden and his wife jackie lost their son daniel people need to know how irresponsible the gun industry is about marketing these weapons so that was our goal was for it to be known do you think you've achieved that Yes, I do. Remington did not respond to our request for comment. The families refused to settle until they won the right to release the documents publicly. Was that key for you? Yes, absolutely. That was critical. This has never been about money. Four insurance companies will pay the $73 million. Nicole Hockley, who lost her son Dylan, hopes this puts them on notice too. I worked in insurance for a number of years doing marketing for them, and this will absolutely make them change their practices. Change these families hope will save lives. Kate Snow, NBC News, Trumbull, Connecticut. In upstate New York, a young girl missing for more than two years, rescued by police. Detectives finding her hidden beneath a staircase in a house they had searched before. We get more from Jesse Kirsch. Tonight, Paisley Schultz is alive and safe in upstate New York, remarkably healthy. 
Saugerties New York police say they discovered the six-year-old inside this home, hidden beneath the stairs with one of her captors, the girl's own mother. Blankets were soaking wet, extremely heavy to lift up, so they had been there for a while. The little girl missing since summer 2019. Police suspected she'd been kidnapped by her parents. The chief also says they'd lost custody just before Paisley's disappearance. Police say the investigation repeatedly brought officers to this very home, adding that authorities were welcomed inside to look over limited areas at times before a fresh tip yesterday led to a search warrant and a detective seeing what looked like a blanket under the floorboards of the stairs. It was a feeling that he had. It was just the way the steps felt when he walked on him. It was something and what he saw. It just it didn't seem right to him. Police say Paisley's mom, dad, and grandfather have been charged in connection with her abduction. Some neighbors reacting to the news. My granddaughter's been in the house several times for parties and stuff, and I just, I'm just shocked because they always seem friendly and nice. And tonight, police say Paisley has been reunited with her legal guardian as well as her older sister, adding that a court has ordered the six-year-old's parents to stay away from their daughter. Lester? Jesse Kirsch, thank you. Tonight we're following a cross-country storm threatening all kinds of weather as it moves east. Snow in the Rockies tomorrow, possible severe thunderstorms in the plains and lower Mississippi Valley. Rain, ice, and snow in the Midwest on Thursday, all of it hitting the southeast, mid-Atlantic, and northeast by week's end. The brutal murder of an Asian-American woman here in New York by a suspect with a long criminal record is putting a new spotlight on a controversial bail reform law. It requires judges to release many defendants while they await trial. Here's Gabe Gutierrez. With a makeshift memorial growing larger in New York City's Chinatown tonight, outrage over Christina Unilee's death is mounting. It could have been any one of us. This chilling surveillance video appears to show the 35-year-old secretly stalked by a man early Sunday morning. Police say he then stabbed her at least 40 times inside her own apartment. I didn't kill nobody. Osama Nash is now charged with Unilee's murder. This was his eighth arrest since May of last year. He was out on supervised release. The case is now bringing scrutiny to the city's bail system. This is a horrific murder of someone who was in the prime of her life. Should the suspect have been on the streets? No. Two years ago, Democratic lawmakers here passed bail reform, which requires judges release defendants before trial for all but the most serious crimes. Supporters say it promotes alternatives to incarceration for people who can't afford bail. But police say it's leading to a surge in crime. New York City's new mayor recently told us he wants to change the law to give judges more discretion to keep defendants in custody. We can't continue to put dangerous people back on our streets. Tonight, loved ones are remembering Yuna Lee, who worked at an online music company as a magical person, always filled with joy. We as Asian women are walking around in a, in a level of fear that we have never had to before in my whole entire life. 
Police sources tell NBC News it does not appear Yuna Lee was targeted because of her race. Still, the Asian American community here is shaken, Mr. All right, Gabe, thank you for that. There's been a development of the scandal that has rocked the British royal family. Prince Andrew has settled a lawsuit with a woman who accused him of sexually assaulting her, saying she was trafficked to him by the late Jeffrey Epstein. Keir Simmons has more. Tonight, Prince Andrew dramatically averting a court battle, not admitting liability, but not clearing his name, declaring his regret for his relationship with the late Jeffrey Epstein and commending the bravery of Virginia Jufri and other survivors of sex trafficking. Virginia Jufri claimed she was sexually assaulted by the prince when she was 17 years old, trafficked by Epstein. It was a really scary time in my life. I had just been abused by a, a member of a royal family. Prince Andrew now paying an undisclosed sum to a charity she chose, supporting victims' rights. There's no question mark over there will be no public fund. There'll be no taxpayers' money going towards this. For the prince tonight, the end of a damaging case stretching back two decades. Virginia Jufri claims she was first assaulted by Prince Andrew in March 2001. In 2010, he's photographed with Jeffrey Epstein after Epstein is released from prison. In 2019, he records an interview with the BBC, widely viewed as a disaster. In it, he says, he does not remember being photographed with Jufri in this picture. I have no recollection of ever meeting this lady. None whatsoever. Then, in January this year, he loses a battle to have a New York court throw out the case and he is stripped of his royal patronages. Now this legal fight is over for Andrew, and the Queen has avoided ugly headlines in her jubilee year. But her second son will likely never recover his standing in the royal family. Lester? All right, Keir Simmons in London tonight. Thanks. In just 60 seconds, new details involving actor Alec Baldwin sued and blamed in that deadly shooting on a movie set. A new lawsuit has been filed over the deadly shooting on the set of Rust last year. The family of cinematographer Helena Hutchins is suing Alec Baldwin, who fired the fatal shot from a prop gun, and others for, quote, reckless behavior. Their attorneys also releasing an animated reenactment of how they say the shooting unfolded. Baldwin has denied responsibility. Up next for us, troubling new findings at a nursing home where COVID has taken a heavy toll. Our investigation. We're back now with a potential medical breakthrough. American scientists believe they have cured HIV in a woman for the first time using a cutting-edge stem cell transplant. For more than 14 months, the patient's blood tests have shown no sign of the virus. Only three other people, all men, are believed to have been medically cured of HIV. Disturbing new allegations tonight at a New Jersey nursing home we have been reporting on for years, with inspectors finding the facility failed to prevent abuse and neglect during the COVID crisis. Emily Iketa reports. 
The New Jersey nursing home where 17 bodies were found stacked in a tiny morgue in more hot water. The state's Department of Health has halted new admissions at recently renamed Woodland Behavioral Health. State officials writing the facility failed to appropriately prevent abuse and neglect, describing in a 17-page report how staff members allegedly failed to perform CPR or call 911 for two unresponsive patients, nor did they provide life-saving medicine to some residents with COVID as directed by a doctor. Another individual was left soiled in feces for 10 hours. Authorities say COVID infected more than 230 residents and staff at the facility in just 10 days at the end of last year. 91 residents there have died from the virus since the start of the pandemic. It was like the worst scenario. He died alone. I know he wasn't taken care of. Sharon Farrell's brother among those lost. There is no reason on this earth that people live the way they are living in that facility. Who's overseeing this? Where was the state? The state is now reviewing Woodland Behavioral's response to inspectors' concerns. The owners declined to comment for this story, but previously told NBC News the COVID-19 pandemic brought unprecedented challenges, and our heroic staff faced those challenges as best as they could. Harvard professor David Grabowski helps identify best practices for nursing homes nationwide during the pandemic. These uh, nursing homes that are, are perpetually among the worst performers, they don't improve without some sort of outside activity. And tonight, New Jersey's governor says he's horrified by Woodland Behavioral's inspection as the federal government warns the facility will lose its funding without immediate changes. Lester. That's nightly news for this Tuesday. Thanks for watching. I'm Lester Holt. Audio Jungle. San Francisco and this is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up in the next hour, Airbnb is beating its own pre-pandemic records despite Omicron dragging on. We'll explore the travel rebound in their fourth quarter results. Plus, Grubhub gets more convenient, teaming up with 7-Eleven. How the collaboration fits into a broader strategy to fend off DoorDash and Uber. An actor-turned-creative-ad genius Ryan Reynolds gives us his take on the Super Bowl's crypto ad takeover, how his agency is promising to bring Super Bowl-level ads to clients all year long. All that in a moment, but first let's get a look at the market. Stocks climbing, bonds falling with the dollar as speculation uh, continued about inflation and tension eased 
on the Ukrainian border. Our Ed Ludlow here to break it all down. Ed. Yeah, it's really a risk on kind of day. There's a lot going on in the world, the market being sanguine, and you see U.S. equities in particular seeing some strength. The outperformance in the technology sector, you see that in the Nasdaq 100 gaining 2.5%, biggest jump in two weeks outperforming the S&P 500. And you're right, we're paying close attention to yields because it's interesting, U.S. 10-year yield is above 2% for the first time since July of 2019. But that didn't really deter investors on higher multiple tech stocks. The outperformance really was in semiconductors. The Philadelphia Semiconductor Index up 5.5%. A big part of that, of course, the Intel Tower acquisition we're going to talk about later in the show. Coming into my Bloomberg terminal, I want to focus on this idea of yield. It's interesting. White line is the relative performance of the NASDAQ 100 to the S&P 500. The blue line, US 10-year yield. It's on the up, but who cares? We're bullish today. We're going in for it in the tech sector. And you see those gains partly, of course, fueled by positivity around earnings season. Speaking of earnings season, back here in the studio, we're looking at Airbnb, of course, and Roblox. Roblox, ooh, that's ugly in after hours. You know, they were kind of softer on activity use in uh, users and activity in the fourth quarter. The number of hours that folks are spending on the platform is down. But the CEO has a, a basically a pitch. Stick with us. The metaverse is distant, but it, we are a long-term play. Airbnb, very different story. Higher around 4% in after hours this Tuesday. They're basically performing with the stay-at-home crowd, those people that are still working from home, perhaps in a city outside of their thing. This is the chart I want to bring up for your next guest, though. This is a stock that's underperformed its peers, because remember, there's still a question around higher multiple stocks and the outlook for rates. And Airbnb, frankly, higher multiple stock. Right, absolutely. All right, Ed, we're going to dig into Airbnb results a bit further now. Thank you, Brent Thill of Jefferies with us. Brent, Airbnb is beating its own pre-pandemic records, even as the pandemic is dragging on. What's your headline takeaway here? Everyone's tired of doing Zooms and sitting at home. So like everyone's just eager to get out. And, and I think what Airbnb is enabling is new way of work, which is, you know, no one really cares where we're at. We're just doing our work. So when you look at the the average uh, daily, uh, you know, the stay length, you know, they're pushing seven plus days and on on half of their business. I mean, these are not you know weekend stays. They, families are committing and taking their kids out of school or, or going, uh, uh, you know, other places than just at their home and taking advantage of this environment that we're in. And so I I think ultimately you've got. Uh, a beat and a raise. You've got uh, great uh, growth on average daily night rates uh, that have potential to go higher. You continue to have a uh, lengthening stay. And I think they're making it easier for us to adjust and to live at Airbnbs rather than just visit. And that's key, right? You have to have fast wireless. You have to have the right infrastructure. And I think ultimately this hybrid environment is, is benefiting and it will only get better. And, and the one thing that's key is they've talked about uh, the actual return to city. So urban was a huge uh, negative drag on their business during, during COVID. No one wanted to be in New York City or San Francisco. That's now coming back. The other thing is cross-border, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but every one of my friends wants to go to Europe this summer, right? So when you think about the borders are opening, I went across the Canadian border recently, and it was great to go back into Canada. We couldn't do it for two years. So this cross-border return to cities, that's another big driver. 
Uh, we still like the stock from here and think, uh, you know, many of the travel names are, are, are set to go higher as we, we, as we clear through this, uh, this, this current round of the pandemic. So here's my question. What does Airbnb look like when the pandemic is really in the rearview mirror? I mean, long-term stays were going up, going into the pandemic. The pandemic accelerated long-term stays. But then does that plateau when, you know, life kind of stabilizes one way or another? And what does that mean for Airbnb? It, you know, it could it could into 2023. I think we're still in a not normal time, right? So the real question is: Do employers require all their employees to be back in the office? Are are you know? I, I think we're going to have a lot of pent up demand and travel for a while, right? So you know, right now it's hard to find. You know, for example, if you want to go to Europe this summer, it's already hard to find a spot. Like for example, in Greece, where my wife wants to go, hard to find a place right now already for the summer. So there's a there's a long tail. And I think, listen to what Google said on their earnings call. They saw massive search results for travel. You're seeing this in, in all of our due diligence from the Jefferies tech team across what's happening in the travel ecosystem and what's happening with airlines and everything else. Th th this, is, this is pent up and this is gonna last, I think through 2022 into early 23. But to your point, I think, you know, what Airbnb is trying to shift this towards is, I think we are gonna be a hybrid environment and this enables us to go uh, work our lives. You know, before, right? We used to come to the studio and sit down. Now we're, we're joining via Zoom. Like this is right. a different world and that world is not gonna go back to the same world we were in. And so I think that I just benefits the Airbnb story for, for quite some time. Well, what about the Expedia story? I interviewed Peter Kern last week. He said they're looking at their best summer ever. Coming up ahead, take a quick listen to what he had to say. Well, I expect big cities and international travel is probably the next big win, including hopefully international air, because you can't get there without a plane, and that's been a tough part of the air business. Uh, I think corporate probably lags somewhat behind that, but... Uh, but we do expect that those places will start to fill up as more and more people get on the road. Brent, do you see these companies rising together or does one have an edge given that inventory is such a huge part of succeeding in the short or long-term rental business? We think Booking's gonna have a, a big year because most of their revenue is outside North America. So, you know, Booking is a, is a big recovery play for us. We think uh, obviously the growth in Europe and Asia will help them disproportionately. Expedia, um, to answer your question, like they're all gonna do well this year, but Expedia does well because they have a lot of cost hangover and there's a lot of issues going on there. The US is recovering faster, so Expedia works in the US, Booking works for the international exposure, and then you know Airbnb works for the alternative uh, segment of the market. So it's a, it's a terrible answer that everything's going to work, but I, I think it is in this environment because there's such pent up demand. Anyone that has had COVID is like, I'm ready. Let's go. I got my bags packed. Right. And, and most of us that we know have had COVID, so they're ready to roll. And so there's enormous pent up energy. There's little limitation to price. Uh, I, I think, you know, we're going to see a lot more ad hoc travel, and even you know, even, you know, long range travel is getting planned out further now. Uh, from what I we can tell in our in our research, so I think it's a I think it's a really good year. And to your question, I think the biggest risk is like, are we going to have a hangover in you know in in, in twenty three from from all the all the travel that we took this year?
All right, Brent Thill, Jeffrey's analyst, thank you as always for joining us. I'm actually going to be speaking with Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky in the next hour, so stay tuned to Bloomberg Television. Meantime, Elon Musk has reported that he gave about $5.7 billion worth of Tesla shares to charity back in November. The donation was one of the biggest ever, thrusting him to the top or near the top of the list of the most generous philanthropists. The name of the charity is not in the filing. A large charitable donation would help reduce what Musk claim would be the biggest tax bill in U.S. history. Coming up, it is all about the metaverse. Companies betting big on it, but can they deliver a top metaverse investor? With us next. This is Bloomberg. Metaverse is just like, what does that mean, really? Regardless of where you want to call it, whatever it may be. This is a very exciting opportunity for Mattel. I think it's a great opportunity for us. I think it's the next great horizon for Disney. The Metaverse, uh, NFTs, and other digital opportunities, digital experiences, will give us an opportunity to engage with consumers. We believe that there's a world where we can add a third dimension of storytelling. I think virtual reality is inevitable that there are gonna be a lot of different ways that people experience events. If you mean the metaverse, like are we all gonna be wearing VR headsets and staying in our houses all the time? I think that's, you know, if we're lucky enough to emerge from our caves after this pandemic, I think at least for the next three to five years, people are going to be more excited to engage in real life than ever before. While the metaverse may be a term that seems far out in the future for some, but investors are hopping on the bandwagon and placing their bets now. According to Bloomberg Intelligence, metaverse ETFs could balloon to $80 billion in assets under management by 2024, as funds capture a slice of this massive market for 3D virtual social worlds. Joining us now, one of the first to spot this trend, he launched an ETF in the earlier days, Matthew Ball, Apillion Co's CEO with us now. Matthew, great to have you here. I, did, I want to start our Roblox results because we're seeing shares take a tumble there. And I'm curious just how powerful you think Roblox will ultimately be in this metaverse of the future. I think the interesting thing is how potent is their flywheel already today? In this last quarter, we saw the company invest more in R&D than they had in revenue only seven quarters ago. They're spending more on the next 12 months in their own platform than three times the most expensive game in history. Grand Theft Auto V, Red Dead Redemption 2, cost $250 million over five years to make, market, and produce. That's the potency of having 250 million monthly active users, one quarter of which use the platform per day and two billion plus in revenue. The question is, will that investment pay off? Sounds like you think it will. It seems to be. I think investors do look a little bit disappointed with the user and usage growth in this last quarter. And yet we're already seeing in January figures that they disclosed the largest month-over-month -month leap in either of those two metrics. 4.2 billion hours of usage. The prior peak was 3.8. 
55 million daily active users. The prior peak in December was 49.4. We're dozens and dozens and dozens of quarters into ongoing growth in all core metrics. I don't anticipate those slowing anytime soon. Disney just appointed a metaverse executive. We heard Bob Chapek there talking about their metaverse strategy, and now they've got a person in charge of this strategy. Which companies do you think are going to win here, whether it's Roblox or Disney or Meta or Microsoft or companies we're not talking about yet? We launched the ETF in June of last year because we believed that this was a multi-trillion dollar opportunity that was going to spend hundreds, if not thousands, of successful companies. We talk about the big five tech companies today, Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, and yet even with $1.4 trillion in revenues last year, they were less than 15% of digital economy revenues. I think there are going to be a number of different so-called winners. NVIDIA, an obvious candidate, Amazon looks likely, Microsoft as well. But we're going to see many Unities and Epic Games who in a span of months go from a single digit billion valuation to tens if not more. Well, speaking of how far ahead of the curve or the ball you were, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook actually bought the meta ticker from you. Can you tell us the story of how they reached out and how much they paid up? I can't actually because they didn't purchase anything from, from me. I produce the index. Uh, my company, Ball Metaverse Research Partners, produces the index, which is licensed to Round Hill, which then uses it for the construction of the Round Hill Ball Metaverse ETF. And then on top of that, I believe the ticker is actually the property of the exchanges. All right. Do you think Meta's strategy will succeed? Is Mark Zuckerberg going to get this right? I think the way to think about it is, does IBM's mainframe strategy matter today? Does having a PC-focused strategy actually lead to success? These can be fine businesses. The social network is not going away anytime soon. But the future, these social and virtual 3D worlds, we're on the cusp of that future already. Facebook is losing users, not just to TikTok, but to Roblox. We know where young people are. 75% of those 9 to 12 use Roblox alone on a frequent basis. And so whether or not their strategy is right or wrong, they need to focus on the metaverse. Their $10 billion hit from ATT, Apple's policy changes, actually reiterates the importance of having your own hardware and operating system as well. So that's companies. What about the regions? Do you have a region that you think could win the metaverse? For example, Korea recently launched eight metaverse ETFs, and I wonder what mm -hmm. you think. Over the past 15 years, we've seen an increasing regionalization of the internet. That's a mixture of regulatory approaches, most notably the EU and China, but also increases in the local markets startup community. South Korea has been strong for quite some time, Southeast Asia, the African continent as well. And so my expectation will be that as more of society moves to virtual worlds, we'll see more dominant local companies. China is already closing its walls more than ever. The South Korean government has assigned the South Korean Metaverse Alliance, which spans 450 companies from Hyundai down to their largest local banks. And so it does seem likely that we're going to see increased clustering in this virtual world, much like we saw in Silicon Valley physically. Now, 
physically in, in Silicon Valley. We've already seen the regular old internet having trouble dealing with challenges and hard problems, misinformation, harassment. How do you see these companies dealing with these challenges in virtual worlds? And can they really manage this? I think that's the big challenge. Look, if we go back 15 years ago, many of the challenges we face today were not foreseeable. Election engineering, tampering, the degree to which misinformation, harassment, and the uploading of illicit materials and frankly, horrific acts of terrorism, we underestimated most of them, but we're still struggling with how we can actually solve that problem. Facebook has 50,000 content moderators. I would assume that if hiring another 10,000 solved the problem, they would have done that long ago. And mm -hmm. so I'm optimistic that at least the provenance of these companies, game companies who focus on happiness, on fun, we may get addicted to a social network even though we don't love using it, but we don't play games unless we feel good. And so I'm hopeful that this new crop of companies will bring a different philosophy. That's an interesting take. All right, Matthew Ball, always great to have you with us. Thanks for stopping by. Another story we're following meantime, Intel has stepped up its push into outsourced chip making. The company has agreed to buy Tower Semiconductor for about $5.4 billion, Tower based in Israel. It makes power management chips, image sensors, and a variety of other semiconductors. Coming up, Grubhub expanding with 7-Eleven. This as the company is trying to make up ground it's losing to rival delivery services. More on the move next. This is Bloomberg. More than 112 million people watched the LA Rams beat the Cincinnati Bengals to win the Super Bowl. Most of the viewers, more than 99 million of them, tuned into the game on NBC. More than 11 million watched on Peacock, the company's streaming platform. Sunday's game was the most watched since 2015 when more than 114 million people watched the Patriots hold on to beat the Seahawks. That game was also on NBC. And speaking of the Super Bowl, Uber used its coveted spot to remind everyone that it delivers more than just food. Now Grubhub has announced it's collaborating with 7-Eleven to compete with Uber as well as DoorDash to expand into convenience items beyond restaurant takeout. For more on the delivery wars, I want to bring in Bloomberg's Jackie Davalos. Jackie, what is their strategy to compete with DoorDash and Uber on this issue, this, this category, which seems to be the next battleground? Absolutely. And you have to remember that Grubhub has actually had convenience items on its platform almost since its inception. Uh, but what it's really trying to do here is expand that footprint even further across the U.S. through this partnership. And it's doing this uh, in, a, in a unique strategy that I think um, is very important to understand because of Grubhub's uh, business model that does differ quite a bit from uh, a DoorDash or an Uber. So what it's doing here is kind of taking this, you know, suburban area where it's traditionally lagged, where you find a lot of these 7-Elevens, um, and then looking to also couple that with the strategy with dark stores, which, you know, they 
really thrive in these dense uh, urban environments where Grubhub actually got its start in Chicago and has another really great foothold in, in New York. And so what it's trying to do here is really chip away at a really sticky category. DoorDash has gotten into it with Dash Marts. Uber Eats has that partnership with GoPuff. GoPuff really dominates this first party convenience category. And I think Grubhub is looking to chip away at, a, at that market share um, through this partnership. How does this help their core food delivery business, which is clearly being challenged by companies that are bigger and potentially have deeper pockets? Absolutely. You know, and this is one of the biggest challenges that has really come to the surface for, for Grubhub. They've completely uh, lagged, especially DoorDash, who's gobbled up a lot of that market share, again, because of their foothold in suburban markets. So really what this convenience category can do is get more users onto the platform more frequently. Convenience uh, has shown to be uh, this kind of category that increases not just the frequency, but the spend. And so overall, they're really hoping to get those volumes up and prove to investors that uh, there's still a player to be reckoned with. And Grubhub, the parent company, Just Eat Takeaway, they, they, there's been pressure to sell them off, right? Or, or spin them off. What's the status of that? You know, the CEO of Grubhub, Adam DeWitt, dismissed a lot of that chatter. He reaffirmed, you know, Jet's uh, Just Eat Takeaway's commitment to growing the Grubhub business. But there is a mount, mounting pressure from investors that are saying, look, DoorDash just keeps getting bigger. Uber's catching up. Where does this leave Grubhub? They really need to look for new areas of growth in order to make that a convincing argument that they do have a future in the food delivery space. So you know, what's going to be the sticking point, the flashpoint that defines the delivery wars over the next year between Uber and DoorDash and Grubhub? You know, who, who's going to win? This is an interesting question, which I think, uh, you know, it's beyond my pay grade, Emily. But <laughs> what I can say is that what investors tell me is that this cross-platform strategy is really what's going to be a lasting driver of growth. After the pandemic uh, surge really wanes and starts to ease, we start seeing more people really go back to their normal behaviors. We're still going to see delivery have a place, but it's all about what times of the day can you get people? How can you increase those basket sizes and make this almost, you know, in, um, uh, in, you know, a part of your life that you just cannot, um, you know, take away? And, and right. it's pretty addictive, especially when you can get it in 10 minutes. So there's a lot of room there. Jackie Davalos, thank you for that report. Coming up. Get your sweat on. We're going to talk about the future of connected fitness with Payal Kadakia, founder and executive chair of ClassPass. That's next. This is Bloomberg. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. Let's get an update now on how the markets are doing and what's on the move as you see it.
Yeah, the really interesting one was Intel and Tower Semiconductor, that Israeli business, right? This is M&A. We got a deal, Intel to buy Tower for 5.4 billion dollars. You can see what the market thought of it. Tower surging 42%. What's interesting is Tower on that jump trading at $47 a share. Intel has agreed to buy Tower at $53 a share. So even with a 42% jump, it's a hell of a premium that Intel's playing. But this is about getting into that contract manufacturing space, right, M? Intel wants to build semiconductors for others, and that is what Tower does. It's a contract manufacturer, and what Intel will get with some of that is some of Tower's clients. But it's a tiny business. It's like a $1.3 billion business annually compared to, say, a Taiwan semiconductor, which is tens of billions of business. That was where I was looking. But I'm also looking at Peloton. Interesting. A nice day for Peloton. An up day for Peloton. But frankly, that is after three savage days of declines. And Bloomberg's Mark Gurman out with a scoop late on Monday night that some really senior folks on the supply chain team in particular departing the company. We know that's a big part of the strategy to scale down and rethink the business format. But the market cheering it after what was essentially a three-day bloodbath uh, on Tuesday, the stock higher. Maybe the sense here that the market thinks a leaner, meaner peloton that's focused on content, less on hardware, might be the way to go. All right. Ed, thank you. Well, as we make our way through and out of the pandemic, some companies hit harder than others, like Peloton. It's sweeping overhaul, which brought new management and layoffs to the fitness company last week, included the departures of executives running its operations, its supply chain, and other functions, according to folks with knowledge of the situation, where is the future of fitness and connected fitness headed? Let's bring in our next guest to talk about that and more. Pyle Kadakia is the author of the book Life Pass and the founder and executive chair of Class Pass. Pyle, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you. I'm curious what your take is on what's going on with Peloton now, given that a key part of what you talk about in your book is how you had to change gears with ClassPass in the earlier days, but a lot of tech startups sometimes make the wrong choices there. They push a product on the market rather than trying to fill a need. You know, I think the founders in general always need to keep their why in place. And I think Peloton, very similar to even the journey of ClassPass, you have to just stay resilient through all these moments. I think, you know, ClassPass started a long time ago. It was, wasn't even just focused on fitness. It was focused on bringing experiences and passions to people. Peloton came in and completely transformed the entire fitness landscape. And they did it in an innovative way. And I think the key is, is to keep that innovation alive through these changes, through customer behavior changes that we're going to see on the other side of the pandemic. What is your take on the future of fitness? Is it at home? Is it in the gym? Is it running around the park? And, you know, how does any one company have that vision of the future, right? Yeah, I mean, you have to listen to your customers. Your customers are the ones who are going to tell you. No founder CEO can tell you what the future of fitness is exactly going to be. What we can say is here's what we're seeing in terms of customer behavior. And we have learned through the pandemic People have ripped that Band-Aid off of working out at home, which is great for the industry. It's great for people's lives. And we do see that a hybrid model will probably coexist in the future of at-home working out as well as going out and keep going to studios. So what do you think is the mistake that Peloton made? Because clearly there was demand. People wanted it. But did they just 
overshoot? You know, it's hard to always predict these things as a pandemic happens, right? And these, these world changes happen. It's hard to know how long they are going to happen. But look, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we all hope we wouldn't stay in it forever. So it really is probably just overshooting and over prescribing how many subscribers they would get and how many people were going to buy these bikes as, you know, we started turning on the pandemic. And we knew that there was going to be a rush. I think, you know, there are companies like Mirror, which sold early on in the pandemic. And those were great times for those companies to sell because you really don't get hockey stick growth just automatically. And this was obviously circumstantial for these companies. That's, you know, happened in ClassPass's growth too, as the studio boutique fitness market was growing as well. And I think it's really about thinking about what's going on in time. And, you know, luckily we are getting to the other side of this, but that doesn't always mean the great things for all businesses, the same way the pandemic meant really terrible times for a lot of companies as well. Do you think the market is at all oversaturated with the big hardware, whether it is a Peloton bike or Tonal or Mirror? You know, it's hard for me to say. I, I've always focused on in-person working out. That's really been the heart and soul of ClassPass. We have dabbled in video, but our heart and soul has been getting people to class. I think there's a lot of ways for people to work out. What we've always been focused on is making fitness accessible, right? Because that to me is the hardest thing. It is getting that person who doesn't know how to work out to try it for the first time. And that is really what it's all about. And sometimes equipment can be scary. So I think sometimes the easier you can make it, the better and actually bigger market share you're going to have. Well, some offices I'm, I'm learning are even offering a ClassPass subscription to get their workers to come back to the office. What do you think about that? And, and, and what, do you, what trends do you think we're going to see as the world reopens? But customers have been introduced to this, you know, opportunity to work from home and work out from home. I mean, working out is an essential part of all of our lives. None of us should be sitting at our desk all day long working without getting out of the office. It's always been a part of my life and it's always been a culture of our company as well. And I think that's really what has been so amazing to see is how many companies are investing in their employees and you know people in their team's health. And that really is the key is we need to know that our employees being healthy means that they're going to be more productive and happier doing their jobs. Women entrepreneurs got just 2% of venture capital last year, which is stunningly low, despite the Me Too movement, the Me Too movement in Silicon Valley in particular. What needs to change in your view still? Bigger, bigger ideas from female founders. Think big and get those bigger checks, right? I think obviously we're seeing progress on the seed rounds and series A rounds, but we need progress later on and we need more women also handing out those, those checks at the later stages. You know, as, as a founder who was able to build a company that raised her Series E, and also we got acquired at the end of last year as well, I think going through those changes, I realized that later on in the process, I encountered less and less women. And that was really tough for me. And I would have loved to have been able to have shared this with more and more women and have more people, more women on my board, more people championing me. And I think that's really what needs to change is more capital coming from women and more women thinking of these big billion dollar ideas. All right, amen. Kyle Kadaki, a founder and executive chair of ClassPass and author of LifePass, a new book out now. Thank you. Coming up. 
Remember how quick that Peloton ad featuring Mr. Big was up and running? We'll talk to the team behind it and many other ads of which Ryan Reynolds is the chief creative officer. Reynolds joining us next to talk about the Super Bowl ads and more. a three-day winning streak very close to that $45,000 mark. Here now to discuss the price move, Bloomberg Shanali Basik. Shanali, what are we seeing? Yeah, Emily, you really see Bitcoin the last couple of days since the Super Bowl really start to rise back up again. But those first few days, the rise was small. In the last 24 to 48 hours, a little bit bigger, almost 4% 4, 4, uh, 4 rise in Bitcoin prices alone. An even bigger jump when you look at prices of Ethereum, for example, which is close to a 7% rise. Bitcoin volumes, however, were higher. And for those who thought that Bitcoin was a diversifier, you're actually seeing Bitcoin really mimic the stock market in a bigger way here. Risk appetite really rising as geopolitical tensions start to ease, Emily. All right. Shanali, thanks so much for that. I want to go back to the crypto bull for just a moment. I talked about all that and more with Mountain CEO and founder Mark Douglas and actor and Mountain's chief creative officer Ryan Reynolds. I asked them what worked and didn't work in their opinion when it came to Super Bowl advertising. Take a listen. Well, I think what worked is having an ad that was unlike any other ad and making it, I mean, it was as direct response as you could get. You know, when people are watching TV on their home, they have their phone in their hand, tablet, and this ad basically was like, grab your phone and become a part of this ad. And I don't. I also don't think it's recreatable in the sense. It's like if, if you do it again, it's just a poor imitation of the original. So to combine that with like this kind of really truly direct response ad, probably for the real truly, you know, the, this direct one of the first times in history. It's just it doesn't tell a story. The story is learn about crypto. I think it was pretty amazing. Um, I don't think we'll see it again. And um, I think it took a lot of courage for them to do it. And, and it, it apparently has paid off. So that's great for, for, for that brand. Ryan, how about you? What worked? What didn't work? I mean, I certainly clicked on the Coinbase QR code, but then the site went down. And I'm not sure, is that success or what? I don't know. The site going down is, is probably indicative of some serious success, I would guess. I mean, those are, you know, that, that's what's called an uptown problem. Um, you know, I, I always feel like your marketing should move, move as fast as you do, you know? So I think that, you know, that Coinbase ad was great. I mean, in terms of just, you know, I always think that the two biggest obstacles to creativity are, are too much time and too much money. Um, you know, and character always wins out over spectacle and that ad has character. Uh, it's engaging. It pulls people in. So I thought that was, I thought that was fantastic. I love seeing Paul Rudd and, and Seth, uh, in their piece for Lays. I thought that was great as well. So the crypto ad takeover, did this hit the zeitgeist? I mean, it wasn't just Coinbase. It was FTX. It was eToro. There were so many different companies trying to get a slice of our attention. Yeah. And but the you know, but they like like we were just talking about, they cut through 
And so, and they told us, I think what they figured out is everyone is curious about this topic. So let's make an ad that is as direct to learning about it as you can. And it, it was very clever. And when I watch it, it's almost funny in how simple it is. You're kind of laughing like this is it, but it worked. And so um, it was their own way of cutting, cutting through the clutter and almost capturing the moment in in the most like direct way possible i think it, i think it was brilliant and it's one of a kind there was one thing missing from that coinbase ad well a lot of things including a celebrity we've seen so many celebrities jumping on this crypto train ryan what's your take on that is this just the next bandwagon or is there something more here um, you know, I, I just see that as, as uh, you know, enterprise companies looking to create and carve out uh, space in the zeitgeist, you know, and, and, and sometimes a, a great way to do that is to use celebrities. Sometimes a terrible way to do that is to use celebrities. So I think I think they're, they're, they seem to be uh, uh, for, you know, I think a, a large part doing doing some things pretty well. Um, you know, I enjoyed the LeBron piece. Um, but uh, but yeah. It's uh, it's definitely something new, and it's definitely something that's probably here to stay. Do you own any crypto now? <laughs> I don't really want to comment on that, but you know, I um, I do, I do, I do see the value in 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 you know the the conversation that we're having right now. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, I think companies are doing a good job of of bringing it into a sort of a a safer, more mainstream light. I mean, ninety percent of the word crypto is crypt. So, you know, I see why certain, you know, uh, certain folks who might, might, might be put off it or, or intimidated by it or, um, but, you know, I think it's, it's emerging as a, as a huge, huge player. I mean, and it's been emerging for a long time as a huge player. So I'm, 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 I'm not super surprised. The proposition of Mountain is that the Super Bowl should happen all year long, right? Your pitch is that you're giving clients Super Bowl level attention whenever they want, whether it's a big football day or not. Correct? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's 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 one of the great things about maximum effort and what we can do within Mountain is that we can, you know, we have the ability to leverage agile, high impact, creative advertising for TV, you know, and ads are fun. Ads are meant to be fun. We sort of forget that. And you know, like I said earlier, I think ads ads that the, the only time that that really suffers is when there's too much time and too much too much money. When you're moving at the speed of culture, there isn't really an opportunity to overthink everything. Um, one of the great things about uh, Mountain and the cast model, the creatives, the subscription uh, model that we use is that it cuts through a ton of the red tape. It's self-service. You know, uh, uh, brands are able to, to create huge impact uh, uh, in a short amount of time. You know, and I and I love that about what we get to do. I think one of the the biggest tenets uh, of the company is that we've we've coined it as fast advertising. You know, and that's to say that we do a lot more with a lot less. Uh, and you know, we're obviously moving at a, at a, at a, at a speed that is is pretty blinding. You know, by comparatively speaking to how marketing and and, and ad spaces work traditionally. So, um, you know, and I think that if you can. For us, the ultimate goal always is, and I think that I think Maximum Effort and Mountain do so well together, is that you, if you drop into an existing cultural conversation, your brand becomes that conversation, mm -hmm. um, and that's the, that's that's really is for at least me and the creative side of things. You know, Mark is more the software side of things, obviously, uh, but for me, that is uh, that's everything.
Ryan, you've brought rapid response, really, to the ad world. And I'm curious, that Peloton ad with Chris Noth that you turned so quickly right after the premiere of the Sex and the City reboot, how did that happen? Well, you know, that's a great example of the power of cast, of creative as a subscription. And, you know, they were already hooked. Peloton was already hooked into that system. So it was it gave us an opportunity to cut through all of the red tape that you would normally, you know, find with it, especially with a company as big as that, you know, it's uh, uh, they're, they're companies that, you know, have these sort of long drawn out ad campaigns that are created in advance. But we were able to do that. And um, there's no exaggeration when I say this. We were rolling cameras 24 hours after Peloton had called Mountain and said, do you guys have anything for us? We're in the middle of a very odd cultural moment because a television show has killed one of our uh, one of their, their main stars on, on our product, unbeknownst to us. And uh, and we were able to respond in a way that was super agile and 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 fun. But, you know, none of this, you know, this is all this is the, the main reason that I was so excited about maximum effort merging with with Mountain, and I, I know it's a bold thing to say, but really I feel like Mountain is inevitable in this space, uh, you know, much in the same way that, you know, Facebook was to social and, and, and you know, and, and, and so on. And I think the rise of, of streaming services and the advancements in production and technology, we see it firsthand how it plays out in Hollywood. It's transformed Hollywood. And I think the rise of, of AVOD and the power of social, you could see this massive opportunity to transform CTV advertising. And you know, merging with the leading performance TV platform that was going to help us on our journey in huge ways. So leveraging Mountain's platform and position in the CTV ecosystem, you know, that's that's that facilitating that relationship and the it's the impact that we want to make in that space and, and vice versa. It's just been such a mutually beneficial uh, experience for us. So talk to us about the creative process in that moment. You know, is it just coming out of your head? Are you in a writer's room throwing ideas back and forth? Are you throwing it up? on a whiteboard like how does it happen you know it happens kind of all of the above you know i mean <laughs> we we at, at maximum effort we have a team of i would call them like 25 snipers we have more ideas than places to put them and that's that 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 problem and that issue has been helped a tremendous amount by by merging with with mountain um we also have quick frame which is you know in a massive creative uh, uh company with it with what i would characterize as, a, as an army of creatives uh so you know allowing us to sort of deploy in so many different with a vast different uh, vastly different perspectives too uh in our creative uh, wheelhouse has been it's been really really amazing all right, actor and Mountain's chief creative officer, Ryan Reynolds, along with founder and CEO, Mark Douglas there. You can catch that full interview at Bloomberg.com. We talk about some of their other ads as well. Coming up, Silicon Valley, not immune to the great resignation. What big tech companies are doing to not just recruit, but retain top talent. This is Bloomberg. Amazon, Meta, Alphabet, Uber, they're not as coveted places to work as they used to be. Highly sought after employees are now leaving in mass to work for startups focused on crypto and Web3. Others just burn out by high expectations. For more, I'm joined by our Bloomberg Senior Executive Editor for Global Tech, Brad Stone. Brad, we're seeing also tech stocks 
coming down, whether it's Amazon or Meta. And that was a huge way that these companies have recruited and retained top talent. Is it getting harder? It is. I mean, particularly retaining good employees. You know, the, the best engineers, they have choices now. They have geographic choices. They have choice for which company they want to work for. Uh, when you talk about Meta or Amazon, where the stock prices have been either stagnant or down over the past year, it's a very, it's, it, it impacts retention, absolutely. On the recruitment side, may, maybe there's upside then for an employee who wants to join and sees the stock price is low. But then you've got the PR problems, particularly around Meta, which is going to be a turnoff for a lot of employees. Amazon just raised the price of Prime, which did something good for the stock. Would they ever do a, a stock split like we saw with Alphabet? Could it come to that? I would say never say never. In the, in the 1990s, they split the stock a couple of times. It's now pretty expensive, you know, over $3,000 per share. You, you split the stock to make it more uh, accessible to retail investors, but also for employees. Um, right now, if you're a warehouse worker and you opt into the, the stock plan, you probably get fractional ownership of shares. So I do think that that is something Andy Jassy would look at. Mark Zuckerberg held an all-hands meeting to talk about the company's values. We've also seen Andy Jassy add a couple of new core values to the company. How does that play into this? You, you want your employees to feel good about where they work. And often these, these values, these leadership principles, they're, they're not, just, it's not just HR speak. These employees kind of marinate in these principles. It's how they make major decisions. It's how they hire. It's how they promote. And, and the new principles at Meta and at Amazon are all about acknowledging critics and saying we are conscientious companies. So I, I do think it's important. They're trying to restore the aura of good feeling that these companies make a positive contribution. And Microsoft is calling back its employees to the office on February 28th. They can still work in a hybrid mode, but that's the first big company we've seen put a date on it. And I wonder, are the other companies going to follow suit? And is the remote work policy going to decide the next war for tech talent? Yeah, it's a good question. Of course, here we are, Emily, in the, in the Bloomberg office uh, talking about this question. Um, look, I mean, if the pandemic really is ending, let's keep our fingers crossed. I think all these companies want to claw their workers back at least for a couple of days a week. Um, I think there's a conviction that um, they move quicker, that innovation happens when people are in the office. So I do think Microsoft is probably a little bit of a bellwether here. Um, again, going back to the first part of the conversation, employees have choices. And probably for the tenured employees, the high-valued engineers, maybe they can leverage some more flexibility. All right. Something we will be sure to watch. Bloomberg's Brad Stone, thank you very much. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. We're going to hear from Brian Chesky, CEO of Airbnb. Just about an hour and 15 minutes from now, stay tuned to Bloomberg Television. Harley Finkelstein with us tomorrow and a great roundup of guests. This is Bloomberg. Your jungle. Race
Amtrak gas pump thought number 348. Because waiting for your tank to fill up is the perfect time to think about whatever gets you going. What if lunch was never invented? Like who decided three meals a day was a standard and why just one lunch I want two? Then I could do pizza for one, chicken for the other, or combining them would be easier. And definitely add some Texas Pete wing sauce. You're on to something, Dave. Introducing Racetrack's Buffalo Chicken Pizza made with Texas Pete wing sauce. Try it for a limited time at participating locations. Racetrack, whatever gets you going. Am I a genius? Welcome to the FTN Fantasy Football Podcast. Presented by the FTN Network with your hosts, Ray Garvin and Derek Brown. Breaking down NFL action with the info you need to crush your fantasy leagues. Welcome back, everybody, to the FTN Fantasy Football Podcast. Y'all know who it is. It's your boy, Ray G. You can find me on Twitter, at RayGQ. I am joined, as always, by my man, my boy, Mr. Derek Brown. You can find him on Twitter, at DBro underscore FFB. DBro, how you doing today, baby? Ray, what's going on, man? We're back in the saddle. It's episode two time, baby, and we're going to get into some full dynasty. Not the only thing we're talking on this podcast, but please, please, we're please, here for it right now. Let's, let's get this out of the way real quick. This is not just a dynasty podcast. We're going to yes, talk sir. dynasty, redraft, best ball, any kind of balls and footballs and all kinds of balls against the wall. We're going to talk it all. We just need to make sure that we are clear that this is not just a dynasty podcast, but a lot of the same principles that sort of apply in dynasty when we're looking at player values, uh, what we saw through this season, players that we're buying and selling, we'll make sure that we clarify, is it from a dynasty perspective? Is it from a redraft perspective? But it all overlaps, man. Like ultimately we're trying to find the best damn players to score as fantasy points in the in the given season that we're playing, whether it's dynasty, whether it's redraft, and of course the values will change, and we'll make sure we're very clear with that as we go through each episode. But we just just a little disclaimer that everybody out there they know uh, this is just fantasy football. And with that being said, please go to ftnfantasy.com and check out all the dope content being dropped daily, hourly, by the damn minute on ftnfantasy.com and make sure you check out all the other dope podcasts on the FTN network, FTN podcast network, fade the chalk. We're on there. Uh, who, who else is on the lineup? D bro, everybody. Oh man. Everybody, anybody, man, like Vlad Settler and the fam has been crushing the FTN fantasy podcast. So, um, I know ramp up for baseball is ongoing and stuff like that. So you got to go check that show out as well. Uh, we're going to lay out a bunch of stuff out here, and I just had an article that can't, went live this afternoon. Um, we're going to few. We're going to talk about a few of the players in said article. Uh, going through Ray, we're going to. I mean, come on, man, let's get into this, dude. Yeah, yeah, Our yeah. Top yeah. ten. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I'm sorry, am I jumping the gun here? My bad, my bad. Yeah, man, you, you gotta, you gotta love me. You gotta <laughs> caress me. Valentine's Day was yesterday, and you're just trying to jump right in the saddle, man. I need you. I need you to tease me a little bit before we get to the meat of the show. We had the Super fine, Bowl. Fine, we had the Super fine, Bowl on Sunday. We got to we got to talk a little Super Bowl real quick, just from a value perspective, right? We're not going to dive into the game and in the outcome and that, but just the players, right? We saw the Staffords and Burrow and Chase and Higgins and Cup and uh, Cam Akers, Odell Beckham Jr. Just what are your thoughts and, and takeaways? Big high level takeaways of those players from that game. 
Um, just pick a couple. We don't have to go through each position, but just a couple of mm-hmm. players that you're either extremely bullish about moving forward in 2022 or you're really, really concerned about going into the season next year. So, I mean, I got I to gotta lead this off right now because the first episode, I came out there and I made the prediction that Cam Akers was going to ball the hell out. I threw it out there on Twitter and stuff like that. And if we're keeping it 100, Ray... I mean, look, man, you got to own the L's. You got to admit when you're wrong and things like that. The one thing I did not see going into that game that is concerning is that the the Rams' offensive line looked terrible. Like, it wasn't just a Cam Akers take. Like, everybody wants to put that on him. And did he play well? No. But that offensive line didn't give anybody a chance. And the Bengals' run defense has been terrible, horrific in the playoffs. Dude, the Rams couldn't get nothing going. Legit nothing going on the, on the ground. It, it didn't matter if they put Sony Michelle back there. The only damn time I saw they get positive yardage outside of one Cam Akers run where I think he got like eight yards was when they gave the damn ball on a sweep to Cooper Cup. Past that, it wasn't happening, man. And it's not going to get better yeah. with Andrew Whitworth retiring. So... The Rams, they have got to address this offensive line in the offseason because if they stay with the same group that they're in right now, considering what we saw over the back half of the season, and not so much in pass protection, but in run blocking, it was it was ugly, Ray. Like, it was damn ugly in yeah. the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad, man. And, and to that point, man, I think on the other side of the ball, Joe Burrow, as great as he's been this season, winning comeback player of the year, um, they said combined sacks from the regular season to the playoffs, 70, which, I mean, a lot of people are saying they can't even believe that the dude is standing upright at this point in time. It, listen, if I'm Cincinnati, whether it's free agency, and we'll talk about some of the free agents. I know like Ryan Jensen's a free agent. There's a, a couple of other offensive linemen out there. Uh, Cam Robinson, I, I don't know what he really is, but you know what? Cincinnati needs to invest as many draft picks, as much money as humanly possible to protect Joe Burrow. I mean, he's got a knee injury right now. They said it's not going to require surgery, but it is going to require rehab. I'm no doctor, uh, so I don't know what the hell that means, D. Bro. But the fact that Burrow was hit, what, 10 damn times, sacked seven times in the Super Bowl, um, that, 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 that meme came full circle the the this Pinay Sewell Jamar Chase Joe Burrow <laughs> dropping back like that like that was literally like the last play of the game right Jamar Chase is wide open down the sideline but no time to throw the ball Cincinnati has to upgrade that offensive line and if and when they do that that helps out uh, Joe Burrow it helps out the wide receivers helps out Joe Mixon helps out everybody on that offensive front so uh you know like you said Cam Akers a little quite disappointing from his return. But for me, I'm not panicking. I mean, the, the the best thing about Cam Akers, in my opinion, is the fact that he came back. He looks healthy. He looks explosive. Let's give him a full offseason to work. Let's try to improve that offensive line uh, for the Rams. And maybe Cam Akers can do some work in 2022. I will say, from a dynasty perspective, um, deep stash, Bryson Hopkins, man. I mean, got in there when Blanton got hurt. Higby was out. Higby's a little bit older. They spent, I think, a fourth-round, fifth-round pick on Bryson Hopkins out of Purdue uh, a, a year or two ago. Uh, listen, deep stash, I'm all, I, I'll am take Bryson Hopkins. He's not going to cost you any damn thing. Athletic tight end, tethered to a, a, a good offense with Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford. Just throwing that out there, a little, little Bryson Hopkins talk. Anything else before we hit uh, that top 10 list that we want to get to? 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on Hopkins, man. I mean, I think that him, and you could talk me back, I, I've been on him the entire time. I stashed him on taxi squads everywhere. I took him last round of rookie drafts. The same conversation, throw Jacob Harris still in there, man. Dude is an athletic monster. Uh, if you're looking receiving upside, again, he might be on some sol- smaller or shallower leagues. Maybe sitting out there on a waiver or something like that, you get him as a throw-in and as a trade. Um, and to your point, Ray, before we kind of kick this off to our top 10 dynasty buys and sells right now, um, Cincinnati Bengals walk into this offseason with the fourth most cap space in the NFL. So they got the quiche to go out and get some dudes to yeah. block for Burrow if they want to do it. Good. They, they need to spend it. They need to spend it. So let's jump into this. So we're going to talk about, I mean, we said top 10. We're going to talk about 10 players. we got five buys, mm-hmm. five sells. This is dynasty, and we will also sort of kind of talk about what we think they'll actually do next season. So for seasonal leagues, like, are you bullish? Are you excited? Are you, are you a little bit kind of like, and eh, not really, uh, but let, let's dive into these guys and, and Debra, let's, let's kick it off with you right now in dynasty. Who's a player that you're buying? You're ahead a of consensus on you're loving them for the 2022 season. Give it lay it on us. I mean, look, I was spitting the good word about this guy walking into this season, and we saw flashes, my friend. We saw flashes of this because we didn't see him fully healthy the entire season. And I know people, the stink is real around the Jets, okay? But Michael Carter is a damn stud, dude. I mean, he's RB24 going up uh, at 67.6 in uh, startups right now. You're looking at a guy that is ninth in yards after contact per attempt against all running backs over 100 carries last year. And a Jets team that was top five in run blocking after week nine. They're going to bring back four of their five starters in the offensive line. And depending on, and if you're out there, you're just getting into Dynasty. I know we don't do this as much, but I want to bring up some reference for people because if you're in leagues and immediately when you send out trade offers for players, people send you screenshots of trade calculators and things like that because some people legit, and you know who they are in your leagues, even if you're in experienced leagues. As soon as you send that trade offer, they're going to be like, let me pull up the calculator. Mm, what's the value here? And yeah, I'm telling you right now. The calculator guys. The calculator guys. Oh, it's, but it's yeah. real, man. And, and just for all the calculator folks out there, you got Michael Carter on, on a very, a few of them around the industry. And I went, I went searching because I don't want to tell people anything that's not right. He's, I mean, legit, his trade value on a few different ones right now is for an early second. And for me, hell yes, give me that. No Tevin Coleman next year. I don't think this team turns into like one that's going to be high-flying and they're relying on Zach Wilson. Uh, And this is not shade on Elijah Moore and stuff, but this is all to say that Michael Carter is a damn stud. And I still think like at RB24, there's meat on the bone there and he can rise in value. All we need to see is what, what, Ray, like a full season from him. But what are your thoughts on Carter? Uh, yeah, man. Um, I think he's going to be the guy, right? Um, you know, what is, is Ty Johnson under contract? Who they have? It's going to be Michael Carter and Ty Johnson. Uh, yep. Ty Johnson and, and Michael Ryan. Ryan. That's yeah, it. Man, it's, it's, it's Michael Carter. He's the most talented running back back there. Am, am I buying him long term? Probably not. Um, but you're talking about the next couple of years. You're talking about a running back that's not going to cost you a ton. And you're saying a second rounder for him, you know, when you're looking at this upcoming rookie draft, uh, the top of the second round, 
I mean, maybe a Kyron Williams is there, Rashad White, Tyler Algier, or Michael Carter. I think his situation is a lot more solidified than any of those rookie running backs, right? So that offense is going to get better. Zach Wilson is going to get a little bit better. We're seeing the Jets uh, being having mocked a wide receiver to them, whether it's Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, Drake London, Traylon Burks, not sure. But you get Zach Wilson, another pass catcher around him, help improve that offense, continue to build that offensive line through the draft and through free agency. I think things are setting up nicely for Michael Carter um, in seasonal leagues and in dynasty leagues. And again, if you're telling me he's only going to cost me a mid to high second round pick, uh, I think I'd be willing to take that bet, man. The concussion thing, he had a concussion last year. I'm not... I don't know how much I'm going to factor that into um, acquisition of him or not. Just something to monitor. Nothing, nothing that I'm going to panic over. Uh, I like you starting it off with Michael Carter. I, I'm going to stick with the running back as well. And the player that I'm saying that people should be buying right now in Dynasty is a player who missed the entire 2021 season uh, with a foot injury. It happened in the second to last preseason game. And the team was god-awful. The Jacksonville Jaguars were just terrible. But Travis Etienne is a player that I am looking to acquire in Dynasty. I want him in Dynasty. I think he's going to be really good in 2022. Uh, he wasn't my number one or number two running back coming out in the 2021 class. I had Najee Harris and Javonta Williams ranked ahead of Travis Etienne. But you can't deny the draft capital, right? He was picked, what, one slot after Najee Harris, uh, the second first-round pick of Jacksonville. They've got a new coach coming in now. Doug Peterson has a history of a little bit of running back by committee, but uh, Travis Etienne, no, no James Robinson to start the season with the torn Achilles. We'll see what happens with Carlos Hyde. I wouldn't be shocked if they don't if they bring in a veteran running back. But by all accounts, Etienne was healthy um, towards the end of the season and said he could have played if Jacksonville called him up. But they just told him to chill at the house because we suck and there's no point in wasting uh, potentially re-injuring you. So when I'm looking at players to buy, I love to I love to not just say buy or sell, but what can you actually acquire Travis Etienne for? I'm seeing deals right now where somebody traded away Joe Mixon and they received Travis Etienne, a second rounder and a third rounder in 2022. I'm also seeing a deal where someone traded away uh, Marquise Brown in two thirds this year to get Travis Etienne. I'm doing that 10 out of 10 times. Josh Jacobs for Travis Etienne. I saw another deal where Travis Etienne was traded for a 2022, a 2022 second round pick and a 2023 second round pick in order to acquire Ooh. Travis Etienne. Any of those deals for a running back that has you know, back-to-back 1,600-yard seasons in a Power 5 conference uh, in the ACC. Pro Day ran a 4-4-5. We know he can catch the ball. Uh, he's fast. He's explosive. He's 215 pounds, uh, and he's 23 years old. I I'll take Travis Etienne at that type of discount. All I got to do is trade away Hollywood Brown or, or uh, Josh Jacobs to get him. Hell yeah, sign me up with Travis Etienne. And here's my thing with Jacksonville, man. It cannot get much worse than it was last year. Like, I just refuse to believe that it can get any worse than it was last year. So with Doug Peterson coming in, Trevor Lawrence another year under his belt, if they do invest in offensive line early in the NFL draft, this is going to be really, really good for Travis Etienne. I'm loving him in 2022. Yeah, I like that call. I think all the trades that you laid out there, I think the only one that, that was kind of it was like the Travis Etienne, a second and a third for Mixon. Like, if I was doing that, I'd probably want like, etn and a first or something like that that's fair mixing's that damn high but like yeah. i don't hate the trade um i like the, the etn call because especially when you're laying out that like james robinson's not gonna be back there to start the year now maybe 
Maybe Jacksonville, they, I think they have two-thirds and a fourth in, in the upcoming NFL draft. Maybe they draft a guy in the middle or later rounds and stuff like that. He pairs with ETN to start the season. Um, I won't be surprised by that at all. But the things that you look for in these players when we see like entire coaching staffs gutted and what's that going to do to the players? Because that's one of the reasons why like I was really low on James Robinson walking into this season because you have the change over of coaching staffs, regimes, and what do these new coaches think? The one thing that can kind of help insulate a player is exactly what ETN has, and that's draft capital, baby. Like, as well as, regardless of whatever we think, right? And I'm not telling you that I, I'm, I'm a balk stand. Like, I'm like saying they should have kept the damn GM. But that's also a feather in the cap. Like, that's the guy that drafted him and was in there for the decision-making for him to go in the first round so if we want to buy into racetrack gas pump thought number 348, because waiting for your tank to fill up is the perfect time to think about whatever gets you going. What if lunch was never invented? Like who decided three meals a day was a standard and why just one lunch? I want two. Then I could do pizza for one, chicken for the other, or combining them would be easier. And definitely add some Texas Pete wing sauce. You're on to something, Dave. Introducing Racetrack's Buffalo Chicken Pizza made with Texas Pete wing sauce. Try it for a limited time at participating locations. Racetrack, whatever gets you going. Am I a genius? Draft capital equals early opportunity and a lot of it. And there, you're going to get chances to screw up and still get more opportunities. Then ETN's going to get that as soon as he's healthy. And for all the reasons you laid out, he should, as long as he's healthy walking into offseason... He's going to be running as the number one dude. And Peterson, they've got to get Trevor Lawrence right. And one of the ways to do that is to be able to scheme up easy completions for him and get him rolling, man. So, yeah, I love the ETN call. All right, who you got next, man? So, I, I'm going to go with uh, this two guys I got next on this list. And part of them, one of them is more value dependent because I don't love, and going back to people that use the calculators and stuff like that, like, I don't love kind of what it's taking to possibly get him. But again, we see this, Ray, that there is a, a big divide depending on what leagues you're in and people's thoughts on some of these players when you put offers out or people put players on the block and what they're going to go for. So the two guys, I'm going to stay, stay in the wide receiver position. Like, the two guys that, and this, this first one is a player I was not in on at all like walking into last year's draft. And I, I, I crapped on the pick. I made fun of the damn Giants. But Lord help me, the player that I'm going out and I'm honestly trying to get in as many leagues as I possibly damn can right now is Kadarius Tony, And that's a, that's a player that I don't think that a lot of people listening to this show right now would have expected. Hell, if you're coming over from Fade the Chalk and you heard me and Adam break him down last offseason, you would not expect a lot of great things out of my mouth about Kadarius Tony. But some of this, we have to stay liquid in this, man. We have to change what, like, based off of what guys do in the NFL and what they do versus NFL competition and change our priors some, man. Like, I'm not going to stay married to whatever my prospect profile was on Kadarius Tony coming out because it wasn't good and there wasn't a whole lot. If you look at all the different things and metrics out there to look at that prognosticate wide receiver production and guys hitting in the NFL, but Tony, dude, when he was healthy, he balled out last year. Absolutely balled out. There's only five wide receivers over, if you're piling through all the FTN data stuff, five wide receivers that ran 100 or more routes, 
They had a 29% target per route run rate and 2.2 or higher yards per route run. And this kind of like, this shelf that he is in right now with the production that we saw in a limited basis, Ray, is crazy. The five guys that are up there with him, Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, Antonio Brown, and you have Kadarius Toney rounding out that group. Like, that's not, that's that's insane. When I found that, looking through all the data on the back end of FTN, I was wow. shocked. Damn. Listen, we saw flashes from Tony last year. I, I know it was one game, uh, but that Cowboys game, like the talent is there, man. The talent is there. It's undeniable. The talent is there. And the new head coach, Brian Dayball, from the OC from Buffalo, like, things are going to get better for the Giants. I, I'm with you. I think there was a point in last season where his value got way too high after that game versus the Cowboys. And then it came crashing, not just back to earth, but like through earth down to the core or where it's like magma and all types of hot <laughs> shit down there. Um, and, and because it's in that right now and it's just like burning and melting away, I'm in. I'm in. What did you say his ADP is right now? What's his ADP is wide receiver 41. Uh, <sighs> the, the, the yards per route run are there. Uh, I, I'm with you, man. I, I, I think this hiring and the offensive competency that the Giants seem to be building this offseason is good for everybody. You know, I'm not the biggest Daniel Jones fan. I'm not the biggest Evan Ingram fan or the Kenny Galladay fan. And even like you said, you weren't the biggest Kadarius Tony fan, but it's hard to argue the moves that they made and those not being positive for that football team. So I'm with you. I do think Kadarius Tony and Dynasty is a buy, especially because his value has come back down to earth reality. And I think it's kind of like a little bit in the multiverse, a little bit. It's kind of like off far in some distant land because I think he should be valued a tad bit higher. He's a young rookie, mm -hmm. a first year player who was injured a lot of the times. And the giants were much like the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, dog shit for most of the season. So again, with Brian Dayball coming in, things can only get better for the giants. And I'm with you. I like this call of, of buying Kadarius Tony, and I'm going to stick with the wide receiver position. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I've got this thing for bad teams. Uh, maybe I have this thing for the Jacksonville Jaguars deep down inside. I, I, as I'm looking at this, I'm like, what have I done here? But DJ Chark is a player that I want. I still am all in on DJ Chark, six foot three, 200 pound. Yeah, I think people forget, right? Two years ago, two years ago, well, actually three years ago in 2019 is rookie season, uh, 117 targets, 73 receptions, uh, over a thousand yards. And then in 2020, with a smattering of Gardner Minshew and Nick Foles and Jake Luton and whoever else, Mike Glennon throwing him the ball, had 53 for 706 in this season. In four games played, 22 targets. He only caught seven of those passes for 154, uh, broke his ankle, and that was the end of the season. But this kid is only 25 years old. He goes into the season. He'll be right at 26 years old. He's a He's got good size. Uh, ridiculous speed, and right now he's being valued like in the 100s at wide receiver. Like uh, I'm looking at some stuff where he's like at wide receiver 135. I don't know where we have him in the FTN, but he's low, right? Very low. And when I'm looking at some deals that I've seen in order to get DJ Chark, I'm seeing Robert Woods for DJ Chark straight up. 
Kenny Gainwell, Quez Watkins in the 2023 third for DJ Chark. Give me Chark wow. over Gainwell, Watkins in a third. Um, uh, here's one, Dallas Goddard or DJ Chark, a 2022 first in a 2022 third round pick. Now, if it's tight end premium, all this other stuff, maybe you make the argument, no, you don't want to do that. But when I'm thinking about, do I want Robert Woods or the 26-year-old? Give me DJ Chark. Do I want Chark or Kenny Gainwell and Quez Watkins? Give me DJ Chark. I, I think uh, this is a player that, you know, he's going to hit free agency. Well, he's he's going to be a free agent. Chances are he's not coming back to Jacksonville. He lands, you know, pick a team. Think if he lands, God, we always do this every year, and I hate doing it. I hate it, but they need a number two. What if he's the number two in Kansas City? What if the Chiefs are like, we need um, a bigger target that can stretch the field? You know, as fast as Tyreek Hill is and as much as he is good at stretching the field, he does a lot of damage in the short and intermediate areas of the quadru quadrants of the field as well. So you get a DJ Chark with the Patrick Mahomes. What if he lands with Josh Allen? I'm just going to name all the top quarterbacks and say, what if he goes there? What if he goes? What if he replaces Mike Williams in L.A. with Justin Herbert, man? I mean, this is a player that I want, and he does not cost you a lot to get in Dynasty. So right now, DJ Chark is like my guy that I'm trying to acquire everywhere. Um, I want him, man. I want him. And thankfully and hopefully, fingers crossed, he's out of Jacksonville after uh, in, here in a couple of months. So it's one of the players that I'm trying to get, man. What do you think about DJ Chark? I like the call. And just pulling up um, startup ADP from DLF uh, from January, it's crazy how far DJ Chark has fallen just because of not being out of sight, out of mind, just because the yep. dude was hurt. Like he's going as wide receiver 49 in startups and the, the, Two or three players he's behind, it's absolute. And he's going right behind Van Jefferson and Tyler Boyd. Give me DJ Chark over those dudes all yeah. damn yeah. day. Yeah, and man. I like the call. And you're rolling through these teams. And I'm going to bring up another one because uh, we're talking about top quarterbacks. We're talking about places that could pay him. And he's going to go into a situation where he's going to be maybe asked to be the number two. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is a free agent. If Green Bay is talking that talk and they're going to give Aaron Rodgers the sauce and give him all and break the bank and basically go with the Saints kind of mold and just push it off and go full win now, just balls to the wall for the next year or two. If he ends up in Green Bay and you're talking about he gets a year or two with Aaron Rodgers, yeah, sign me up, dude. Like that that team, that's another team we're talking about. It's been screaming for a number two wide receiver for a, more than a damn minute. Love it. And he'd be able to stretch the field. He'd be like Marquez Valdez Scantling plus because he's able to run intermediate and short area routes. He's able yeah. to get open and he's a better damn player than Valdez Scantling. 100%. I'm with you, man. With you. We'll touch on your last, uh, last dynasty buy right now. You said you had another receiver that you wanted to dive into. So tell the people who it is. So staying in that that kind of early second, maybe mid-second price tag, and I'm not necessarily buying him in that, but if you can throw out an offer for Christian Kirk, and he's in that same type of ilk as, as a few of these other receivers we've talked about so far in startups and where he's going, he's 25 years old. If you can get him for, say, a mid to late second, and I'm probably going the more the end of a late second trying to throw out that offer for him. But he's a guy like, Ray, like he's 25, even if he goes back to Arizona, A.J. Green's a free agent. Zach Ertz is a free agent. We don't know what to make out of Rondell Moore. I can sit here and tell you he's a buy depending on what you're having to give up. But it probably the, the flash is still there and people, you know, they sewed in that, that pick equity into them. So they're probably not let, ready to let him go. But if with Christian Kirk, 
people are just tired of like the production hasn't been there. But this is a guy like D Hop went down last year, and we saw Kirk take the mantle. We saw him perform well in the limited time where he was more asked to be that number one guy, or at least to try to share that role. And the thing that I love about Kirk is if he goes to another situation, or hell, he even stays in Arizona, and they're going to put him in the damn slot more than what they did last year, 49% in 2021, we're talking about a guy that was 14th in yards per route run from the slot. If he gets the full-time slot role, and we're talking about a guy that gets up into the 60-70% range for slot snaps, I think that we could see more production out of Christian Kirk walking into the next season or two. And some of that is, okay, he goes somewhere and he's the starting slot wide receiver for another offense. Hell, even if he stays in Arizona, I still think that the arrow could be pointing up for him, even if he stays there, doesn't go anywhere else, and they just pay him to be the starting slot guy. But what are your thoughts on Kirk, man? Because I think people are soured on him because they came out, there was a lot of love for him, and and... They're like, well, he hadn't done it. He still hadn't done it. Last year, he was basically a wide receiver three. Like, to me, I I still think the dude's got talent. Here's the thing. I I don't know how I feel about Christian Kirk. I'm not out. Mm -hmm. I'm not in. I'm just there, right? Like, he's somebody that I don't think I'm going to actively try to acquire. He'd be somebody that if if, if if he was packaged up in a deal... Like, I'd want him, right? I just, it, it just has not come to fruition the way that I thought it would coming out of Texas A&M for Christian Kirk. Don't don't get me wrong, man. I don't dislike the player. And I actually think you're probably right on the call to acquire him. I guess, I just don't know what for or what my expectations well, that, are with that's getting what I was that gonna ask. Okay. Because okay. if it's an early second, no. If it's a mid or... If it's a late second, that's probably kind of where I'm at right now. Is it? Am I willing to give up a late second? Which, I mean, honestly, you get outside of, and, and we we see the tier breaks, and you're more into the rookies. I'm I'm playing catch up right now. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. Where do yeah. you think that tier break is right now? Okay, well, like, well, is it is it in the second round? Well, let's see. Okay, so here goes one, Christian Kirk for a second and a third. What side would you okay. rather have? What what side would you rather have Christian Kirk or would you rather have the second and the third this year? If it's a late second, I might take the Kirk side because thirds, let's, assu- I mean, let's assume thirds. let's assume let's assume mid to late for everything. Like let's just go on the okay. assumption that it's mid to late. Would you rather uh, those those second rounders or those mid to late second rounders or Christian Kirk? I probably would take Christian Kirk over that. Um, yeah, I'm seeing Christian Kirk for a 2023 second rounder straight up. <sighs> I mean, it, yeah, it, it feels depends on even. Where it's at. It feels yeah. it feels kind of even. Christian Kirk or James Robinson in the twenty twenty two third, taking Christian Kirk in that side of the deal, yep. right? Yep. Um, Christian, here goes one. Christian Kirk or Robert Woods? Ooh, give me Kirk. I'll take Kirk. Kirk. Okay. Um, well, because here's the thing: you could flip Kirk as young as he is. Like, say he pops this year, or even if you wanted to get out from under him. You ain't getting rid of Robert. Like, what are you getting for Robert yeah. Woods? Even now, like, yeah. you can't flip him around. Like, you're 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 holding him until he decides he's going to re- sign his retirement papers. Yeah, everything that I'm seeing with Kirk is he's a piece in a deal. Um, very few Kirk straight up deals, which I, I just like to look at. Like, I want to see what people mm-hmm. are valuing him at. Here's my thinking with Kirk: if he does land on a different situation. 
I think he's okay. Like I, I just don't know. He'd be a guy that I would just be like, if I got him as a throw-in in a deal, I would mm-hmm. be happy. But I just don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think I'd pay a late second for him, man. Like a third rounder, I would do it. But late second, mm-hmm. you're looking at Christian Watson territory. You're looking at maybe a Damian oh. Pierce. You're looking at. I've seen Rashad White. You lean off with the two loveless guys from the Senior Bowl, knowing it's going to get my heart. I'm, well, you said you weren't into the rookie, so I had to I had to tease you and appease you a little bit. And when I say those names, now you start thinking, oh shit, maybe I would rather those picks over. Mm-hmm. I just think he's good, right? I think he's a solid football player, but a fantasy asset that you're if you have to start him every week, I'd rather the picks. If it's best ball and I can just throw him, he's just on the roster in those weeks where he has those two touchdowns, and I can just take that. I, I think I would roll, I'd roll with Christian Kirk in that case. So Let's just run through the five buys that we have right now. So we talked about Michael Carter, uh, Kadarius Tony, Christian Kirk, Travis Etienne, and DJ Chark as some players that you should be trying to acquire in Dynasty. And majority of those guys uh, don't cost you much at all. Probably the most expensive player that we talked about was Travis Etienne. But now we're going to mm-hmm. flip the script, D-Bro. We're going to talk about some players that we need to be getting out from under. We're done. Or maybe not done. They still got plenty of game left. But – Here's the thing in Dynasty, man. For me, the way that I do it is I'd rather be a year early than a year too late. If I'm a year too early opposed to a year too late, then I'm fine, right? And when I make those type of deals, I'm walking into the trade knowing good and well that this player's still going to produce this this fall. This player's still going to be damn good in the 2022 season. But what you don't want to happen is you don't want to get to a point where you had a window to move a player like Ezekiel Elliott in Dynasty. And you hold on for that production, that final year. Like, this is the year I'm going to win, and I'm riding Zeke. And what you could have gotten for Zeke at the start of the season. Join Tubi in celebrating Black History Month with the largest free collection of black cinema streaming every day of the year, including exclusive Tubi originals, Howard High, and Pass the Mic. Tubi, watch free. You may be into punk rock, soft rock, or classic rock. R&B, hip-hop, or house, country, techno, or techno country. But no matter what kind of music you listen to, here's something else you should hear. Please consider getting vaccinated. Talk to your pharmacist today about Comirnaty, COVID-19 vaccine mRNA. This message brought to you by BioNTech and Pfizer. There's no way you're getting that now for a player like Ezekiel Elliott. But that was too easy to do. Everybody knows you should be trying to sell Zeke Elliott right now. So I'm going to stay at running back, and I'm going to say a player who just made another Pro Bowl is probably locked in for another 13 to 1,500 rushing yards this year. But Dalvin Cook is a player I'm trying to get 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 from from under as quick as possible in Dynasty. You've gotten your multiple years of production from Dalvin Cook. Um, He'll be 27 years old this season. He's already battled – uh, multiple injuries in his career. Th- this is a player that I think, even though he's probably going to, to, I'm saying probably, he's going to get you, he's going to be a beast this season. Dalvin Cook is still going to be very good in 2022. But he's already approaching that territory where, remember a couple of years ago, going into the season last year, Derrick Henry, we all knew he was the king. We all knew he was going to lead the damn NFL in rushing. 
but when you tried to trade him, you never could get what he was worth. Like, you know Derrick Henry was worth probably two first-rounders plus a player, two first plus a Michael Carter, two first plus a Travis Etienne. It's probably what he, he, he should be valued at, but nobody, no sharp dynasty manager was going to trade you that, right? And I think you're approaching that with a player like Dalvin Cook. And when I'm looking at some deals, uh, I mean, it's already – None of these things look good, D bro. None of them feel good. Mm-hmm. Dalvin Cook for a 2022 first, straight up. Like that's all you're getting, right? Um, Dalvin Cook. Here's one I actually like in a, in a super flex league. Um, Dalvin Cook for Trey Lance, Michael Carter, and Rondell Moore. I, I would take Ooh. Trey Lance, Michael Carter, and Rondell Moore. Um, everything like else that. is just it's. Look look at this one, man. Somebody had to give up Dalvin Cook and a second round pick to get a 2022 first. Dalvin Cook for a 2022 first in DJ Chark. I'd consider something like that. Um, Dalvin Cook and Amon Ross St. Brown for Deontay Foreman and Jamar Chase. And here's the one. This is the tier. Call it tier down. I kind of call it a tier up. But Dalvin Cook, McCole Hardman, and a fourth rounder. So essentially Dalvin Cook, McCole, and a fourth for Christian McCaffrey. Like, I- I'm trying to... This is here's the real one that I love right here. This happened. This happened two weeks ago. Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison, and a second for Javonta Williams from the Denver Broncos. Ooh. If I can move off of Dalvin Cook and get a young running back like Javonta Williams, if I can get a Travis Etienne plus a first, if I can get um, the 103 or the 102 this year, where I know I can walk away with Isaiah Spiller or Brees Hall plus something for Dalvin Cook. D-Bro, that's a move that I'm making, man. And and again, I say that fully understanding that he's going to rush for another 13, 1,400 yards this year. But going into age 27 season, you know, after this year, he's 28. He's right where Derrick Henry is right now. He's this, you know, 28, 29 years old where it's like, damn, I just got to ride this guy in the sunset. What Am I crazy for, for talking about taking a Javonta Williams for a Dalvin Cook, a Travis Etienne in a first for a Dalvin Cook? Where are you at with him in Dynasty? Hell no, you're not crazy, man. I think he falls in a perfect tier of guys that everybody could be, that should be entertaining offers, trying to get out. Like, there's a tier of players that are in that same, uh, running backs, that are in that 26, gonna be 27 mold. Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, not talking about all the off the field stuff. Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, guys that are all still going in startups as of January as top 12 running backs that I'd be trying to get out from under, man, because once you get to that age 27 and stuff, you're talking about it like people see that and they look at the age and whether it's the contract, the age, both of those together or injury histories, they're like, I I get it, but I'm not giving you that much. And so like we could have taken Dalvin Cook's name off of this outline and sit here and put any one of those dudes and I'd be doing those type of deals and I'd be doing them yesterday. And as far as Javonta... Give me all the Javante Williams you possibly can, baby. Like, I have him ranked on the site, and people can go check it. He's a top three, three dynasty running back right now. Because I want people to be above consensus on this dude just because he shared a a running back or a backfield with Melvin Gordon last year. I don't give a crap about that, dude. He gets the workload this year. You're not going to be able to get him without giving up multiple appendages, not just your arm. People are going to be calling for your damn leg, too, if you want to get Javante Williams. So, yes, absolutely, make that deal. And if you can get Javante or, I mean, put it this way, would you do it straight up? 
Oh, Dalvin Cook for Javante oh, Williams. Like, yes, easy. Yes, yes, man. Yesterday. Yes. Dude, no, I don't need to ask for advice. I don't need to look at the calculator. I don't need to look at anything. <laughs> you send me Dalvin Cook for Javante Williams straight up. That's a no damn brainer. Hell yeah. I'm doing it, man. Give us, hit us with one of your players you're trying to acquire. So uh, the one of the guys I'm looking to get out or sell, under, sell away. My bad, my bad. I said acquire. I mean trade away. My my bad, dog. My bad. I, I know you looked at me like, "What, well, Ray? What the hell are you talking about, man? We're trying to we're trying to sell these guys, not acquire." Tell us one of the guys you're trying to get rid of, D, bro. So I, I'm honestly, I was surprised when I saw him this high in startups as of January because, and it's not because I don't like the player. But Jerry Judy is still going off the board, or at least as of January, as wide receiver 22 in startups. That feels really damn spicy, Ray. Especially, you're looking at the divide, and I, I get that there's an age divide. But, like, Cortland Sutton is at wide receiver 34. Outside of, like, Cortland Sutton is not an aging, old, has-been wide receiver. Dude is still young. But you're looking at this massive divide between him and Jerry Judy. What the hell has Jerry Judy done on an NFL field to necessitate still being a top 24 dynasty asset outside of being a first-round pick? He hadn't done nothing. And amongst all the wide receivers on 100 more routes last year, he was 29th in yards per route run. 58th in fantasy points per route run. 59th in fantasy points per game. Like, what outside of the name of Jerry Judy in production's sake still warrants him being that guy. And we don't know who the Denver Broncos quarterback is going to be. You want to sit here in all these rumors and talk that shit about Aaron Rodgers going there or people want to talk it. Like, that legit has to be your that your saving grace and hope if you're going to sit here and draft Jerry Judy as a top 24 wide receiver right now. Nah, man, I'm out. Like, if he puts up, and we yeah. talk about like walking into this season, if he puts up another stinker season, he's going to plummet. And you're going to see yeah. him in the wide receiver 30s next year. Yeah, man. Um, I'm. There's no way. Uh, if people still value him, and I was somebody who was very, very high on Jerry Judy coming into this season. Mm -hmm. And part of me, I, I give a little bit of grace because that quarterback situation, just awful, right? Teddy Bridgewater, uh, uh, Drew Locke, just terrible quarterback play I, I still I'm still kind of like I, I guess it's just fingers crossed type shit with me because uh, there's no data that supports him being that high right now and if there are people who still value him like that then I would 100% be trying to move him this is the season for Jerry Judy like this is year three if it's going to happen it's got to happen now. It has got to happen this season. And when we look back at that 2020 wide receiver class that was supposed to be just all world, um, you know, LaVisca Chenault, nah, uh, Jalen Rager, laughable. Um, you know, who Henry Ruggs, not in the league. Um, it, it's CeeDee Lamb. He's good, but, you know, the production, we want the blow-up CD Lamb, right? Like, when we're looking at that class, man, it's really Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, and if you're asking me who, like, the third best wide receiver is from that 2020 class off the top of my head, what, Michael Pittman? Is it, you know, CD Lamb, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, and Michael Pittman? There go your top four guys. Uh, Jerry Judy's not up there, man. So, 
I'm I'm going to give him one more year, D bro. Before I get rid of him, before I sell him, I'm giving him. I'm not even giving him a year. I'm giving him like four weeks because let's be fair to Jerry Judy. First game of the season, Broncos versus the Giants. I think he had like six, seven damn receptions before he messed up his. He had the high ankle sprain and went out. Like I think he was. He looked like he was doing good. Like I just, I'm just giving him. I'm making excuses here. I'm, I'm stumping for my guy. <laughs> Probably the first like six weeks, we're going to know if Jerry Judy. Um, what's concerning about that is they paid Tim Patrick and they paid Cortland Sutton, and then they're going to have to make a decision on Noah Fant here real soon. I don't know, man. It's 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 scary. It's a scary proposition holding on to Jerry Judy now, but. I am just, uh, I've got hope. <laughs> I'm dynastying with some hope that he can get his act together here in 2022, well, but it has not looked good so far. Tell me this. If you could okay. get like, not even saying a mid first, like somewhere in that like late first, like even like 108 to 112. Easy. Somebody offered you a late Easy. first. Would you take Easy. the first over Judy? Easy. 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 Smash. Smashing it, man. Yep. Yeah, you give me that. I'm I'm taking it. I'm not I'm not thinking twice. I'm looking at some players that are ranked ahead of him right now. Um, Chase Claypool, uh, Armin Ross, St. Brown, some guys ahead of him. You've got like Michael Gallup, DJ Chark, Kadarius Tony after him. It's got to happen. It's got to happen this year uh, for Jerry Judy here in 2022. We'll see how it plays out. All right. Another player that I'm gonna I, I'm trying to get for, out from under, and boy, I'm ready for the comments to to go wild here with this one, because um, this is a player. Let me just read uh, what he did this season, and and I'll let you take a guess as as to who it is. Right, He's played 17 games, 191 targets, 145 receptions, 1,947 yards, 13.4 yards per reception. 16 touchdowns, number one wide receiver in fantasy points per game with damn near 26 per game. He won Super Bowl MVP, won the Triple Crown, won Offensive Player of the Year. You want to guess who I'm talking about, D-Bro? Just a wild guess as to who I'm talking about here. And it's it's not Calvin Johnson. Fantasy Jesus himself. Fantasy maybe Jesus himself, baby. Maybe that's maybe. Cooper Cup. It's all yeah, day. It's, it's Cooper Cup. And right now, if I have Cooper Cup, I am trying to sell him in Dynasty. And uh, listen, as long as Matt Stafford's there, he's going to beast. He's going to ball. He's going into his age 29 season, and we know wide receivers traditionally can play a little bit longer than running backs, so it's not like he's going to fall off next year. Um, but this was by far the best season of his, his career, and like just – like damn near by a thousand yards, right? Like damn near doubled up his highest season output. Um, he did have a thousand more yards than he did last year, almost on the dot, you know, 974 yards. And I get it. It was with Jared Goff and the first couple of years of his career were with Jared Goff and look what happens when you get Matthew Stafford. But does Cooper Cup's value ever get any higher than what it is now? Like if there was just an over under, over under of does Cooper Cup duplicate this season ever again? I would be taking the under. I'd be saying, I don't think he ever does this again. I mean, this is winning the triple crown. First of all, having health throughout the entire season, even the, the, even the most durable, the, the human juggernaut that is Derrick Henry 
was sidelined for half the season from a pinky toe or something like that. You know what I mean? Like crazy shit happens in football and Cooper cup was able to stay healthy the entire season and put up monstrous numbers. And right now I, I, I don't, I haven't even found a trade that like happened that has happened. I, I tried to find one that's happened over the past couple of weeks to really talk about the only trade that I can talk about that I've seen is one that I made. And I actually traded Cooper cup away for the 101 this year and a 2023 first round pick, um, two 2023 first round picks. So I got three first for Cooper Cup, Ooh. two in 2023 and the 101 this year. Like, That's if nice. I can do that, I, I, I'm fine with it, man. Like, it's just, yeah, it's that it's the value game, it's the recycling game. You hold Cooper Cup, and you know, we knock on wood, none of us hope for injuries, but. You know, he gets injured a game here, an ankle twist, uh, you know, a knee strain, like just little stuff, man. We're not talking about career ending things, but the fact that he went through the whole season unscathed, didn't miss a beat, man. Like this is, if you're going to capitalize on the value of a player, here it is. It, it is at an all, he has reached the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. He is at the top of Everest. I'm selling at that point. You know what I'm saying? Like we talked kind of about Jamar Chase and people saying they would trade Jamar Chase. I'd be much more inclined to move Cooper Cup at 29 years old after off of this season opposed to Jamar Chase. And I say that knowing good and well he's going for another 14, 1500 yards in 2022. But again, in Dynasty, I want to be a year early than a year too late. So Two parts. One, I agree with you. Um, he's at wide receiver 10 in startups as of January. I think that he's not going to get higher than that, obviously. I think that he's going to fall down the map, especially like if we're redoing this next year, talking about like rookies and players that have moved up the board and Cup's gone down the board, now being another year older after next season, I think that he's peaked. I guess my question back to you, Ray, is like, what's the bare minimum? Because as somebody, we talked about this on episode one about Cup and, and his age and, and, and things of that nature. But like, what's the bare minimum you're taking for Cooper Cup? Because name the production is otherworldly. And we talked about he's going to go for 1,500 right. yards, probably like eight to ten touchdowns next right. year. Regardless, he's not going to have like God mode legend season probably again, but still be really damn good to be a top five guy. Right, right. But, even with that, he doesn't command the same type of return as like Super Stud or like Devontae Adams, even though the production is damn right, near right. similar or better. What's that bottom dollar you're willing to sit there and still press the accept on Cooper Cup? Is it two firsts? Is it a high, like a top five first and a, and a second? Like, draw me that, that yeah, like, I, the bare minimum line. I would love to be able to, like, if I can just – if, if I can move Cooper Cup and walk away with Elijah Moore in a first, Rashad Bateman in a first, even Calvin Ridley in a first, uh, Jalen Waddle in a pick, that I would I'd be in heaven, right? But if you're just talking about baseline like picks, it would be two first, and I and they both need to be relatively high, right? Like I wouldn't want the one twelve this year and the one twelve in twenty twenty three. I'd want you know the top three pick this year. And I'd want a first rounder and hopefully that team that's sending me their top three pick, hopefully they've got their own 2023 pick, which would probably be a, a high draft pick as well. I think two first rounders is 
um, probably like the the baseline that I would accept. I wouldn't go a first and a second, but two first round picks, I would do it. If I can get Elijah Moore in a pick, I'm smashing accept on that without without thinking. Um, uh, I still think you can get it done. There, there are some people out here who who really love Cup and don't think he's going to slow down anytime soon. All I'm saying is float it out there. It's the classic tear down and acquire an asset, right? Tear down a receiver mm-hmm. and then acquire some draft capital, and I'm all about that in Dynasty. Yeah, same, man. I, I think that the move is either you go young wide receiver, somebody you think is going to move up the board, get you a pick tied to that. I could So in super flex leagues, I could even be talked into – Going and and part of this is knowing your league mates. Like if you're telling me I could get all like of it is knowing your pick. league mates. All of it is I, yeah, I mean, yeah, it is yeah, it is yeah. because if you can yeah. get a top three pick in this year's rookie draft and even like an like the two hundred one uh, in this rookie draft, maybe I make that because basically you're saying okay, in, in superflex is what I'm kind of talking this, and I'm being very very specific with this. But you're telling me I could get like an early second, maybe the one of those wide receivers running backs in Malik Willis and turn cup into that. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that. Like I, and that maybe this is just showing my hand at how damn high I am on Malik well, Willis. Right. Well, now. what if, what if, what if I told you that at that one Oh three spot this year, you can get Traylon Burks at the one Oh three. Mm-hmm. And then at the top of the second, you can get uh George Pickens. So you get Traylon Burks and George yeah. Pickens for Cooper cup. Um, w- would you make that deal? Yeah. I make that deal. Especially if you, if you're looking at like, Cup is, if your team is on the cusp, like, you're like, maybe I competed this year, but shit, I'm probably not competing next year. Like, the cards and yep. the stars are perfectly yep. aligned, and it ain't happening next year. Yep. Then you're going to turn this into two guys that possibly, walking into or out of next year, are going to gain value. Hell, they could maybe end up as both top 24 dynasty wide receivers when we're talking about this next season. Yeah, give me that. I'll, I'll take that deal, man. Like, because if you're doing all the homework and you know your process and you feel comfortable with how you evaluate these rookies, are you going to have hits and misses as well? Sure. But if you hit on both of those players, yeah, absolutely. Because put it this way, you're walking into next season, Ray. Like, we're talking about it. Cup's not getting younger. He's going to be 29. You're probably not getting that deal, especially yeah. for him next year. With you. I'm with you, man. All right, tell somebody else your last guy that you're getting rid of. Who are you? Who are you kicking out the door? Man, there I picked two young wide receivers, and I came from the same draft class. And there are truthers all out there. I fought them last year. Probably fighting them again this year. I don't get it, man. Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver, twenty six in startups. Oh, you're hurting my heart. You're cutting I, my soul. Dude, Go ahead. Go I lay it just, on me. Lay it I on can't. me. Why, why are you getting rid of Ayuk? What is it? What did Ayuk do to you? What did he do to you? <laughs> what did Ayuk? Why are you? What, what's with the Ayuk slander? What did he do to you, man? Um, Debo stepped up as the damn alpha, dude. And there's still George Kittle. And the, all of these dudes are on a team that's going to be top five in rushing rate. They're not going to throw the damn ball around the yard. So you're looking at a team that legit all of these guys to pay off or be what they're going to be. Ayuk's going as wide receiver 26 right now. It's hard for me to envision a path of Brandon Ayuk rising up the board above that in the upcoming season. Regardless, and I'm talking about if everybody stays healthy and we're talking about this is still going to be a low volume passing attack. 
Now, if George Kittle and all these other, Debo gets hurt and Brandon Ayuk's getting alpha level volume, then yeah, I look like a damn idiot. But right now, we're projecting those dudes are going to be healthy. And we're looking at Brandon Ayuk after he got up out the doghouse, Ray. So, like, after week three, he was only a top 36 wide receiver in 53% of his games. He had only three games all season after. After Shanahan said, okay, sure, we need you. Go back on the field, sir. Three games as a top 24 wide receiver, man. Like, that's just not doing it for me. Like, for a guy, and yes, he's 23 years old. I understand it. But he was wide receiver 41 in fantasy points per game. Where he's going in startups and how much, like, you can get a first for him. Yes, give me that. I'll take that. I'll take a mid to late first for Brandon Ayuk. And you could probably get that in various leagues. Because he's a guy that I have a really, really hard time envisioning an upside scenario for him walking into next year. Like, even, like, versus the guys that are going around him, like, He's right now right behind Amon Ross St. Brown. Give me St. Brown handedly over Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, I'm the guys that are that. going behind him, like Marquise Brown, and we hadn't even talked about like things out Uh-oh. on the Twitter space Uh-oh. about Marquise Uh-oh. Brown. Wait a minute. <laughs> <Wait a> minute. <laughs> uh, do you want to spread propaganda? We Listen, I, I, I have no problem spreading some fake news, but there are some unverified sources that don't have a lot of followers saying that Marquise Brown could potentially step away from football to, to, to pursue a career in gaming. Listen, we're just, we're just having fun with the story. Nothing has come Mm -hmm. across the desk that looks uh, official in any way, shape or form. If that comes to fruition, we'll talk more about it. Uh, But to your point, you would rather have Hollywood's playing. You would rather have Hollywood Brown than Brandon Ayuk. I would rather have Hollywood and I'll stay on the same team. Like if you can get Rashad Bateman and they're going around the oh, same yeah. kind of range. But if you if you can get Rashad Bateman and just give me some sauce on top of that. Like give me Bateman and a late second. Give me Bateman and a third. I'll take Bateman. Like I, okay. I, I firmly believe I, I would take him Bateman has up. Yeah, I would I'll take, take him straight, straight up too. I'll take like him I think up. Bateman has alpha type upside in his skill set. Like that is legit. I have him ranked aggressively over at FTN Fantasy. And and part of this is just how we're looking at these players. Like, are you obviously like we talked to this and I'm 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 crushing your soul. I'm stomping on it right now. But like, what are your thoughts on Ayuk? Like, would you take a first for him? Are you still in? Because obviously, like, I'm just shitting on people right now, talking about Jerry Judy and Brandon Ayuk. I'm just I'm here yeah. for the mentions, dude. That's what I'm here for. I I still like Brandon Ayuk, but I, I I'm not gonna sit here and say that I am 100% confident, 100% sold. He's, I mean, you're right. This was the season. Everybody said coming in, even me, nobody was talking about Debo. Everybody was talking mm-hmm. about Ayuk. Like, Ayuk was supposed to be 1,200, 1,300 yards this year, and he got left on, he got left at home. You know, the 49ers got on the bus and, and hit the road and played their games, and Ayuk is at home. Uh, that's that's concerning for a second-year player. Now, I will say the fact that he ended up with more yards receiving this season than he did last year kind of shocked me. I mean, 826 yards this year, 748 last year, five TDs this year. He had five last year. Reception totals dipped a little bit, four or less. 
Uh, his targets dipped 11, but I, there's still, I'm still in on Iuke. Like he and Jerry Judah, you're very much similar. Um, if it's going to happen for Iuke, which God, the 49ers already didn't throw the ball a ton. I think team pass plays per game, they averaged 32.9, which was 22nd in the NFL. They already don't throw the ball a lot with Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Trey Lance is going to come in. They're probably going to throw a little bit less with him because he mm-hmm. provides so much rushing upside. Oh man, you, you just crushed my spirit with that one. But it's hard <laughs> to it's hard to disagree with anything you said about Brandon Ayuk. Again, this whole show is just me full of hope. Just <laughs> just full of hope here. Just hope for Jerry Judy. Hope for for uh, Brandon Ayuk. But unfortunately. Uh, hope doesn't get us paid. Hope doesn't help us win leagues. Hope doesn't bring home the fantasy titles uh, year after year. So I'm not going to knock it. I just, I'm just not happy with you because uh, you, you just broke my heart using that one at the end. And uh, my final sell, Debro. My final. You're about sell. to wet blanket. You're about to wet blanket one of my love lists, guys. So the pain well, is real, and you're dishing it back to me right now. Well, so I, I gotta sit here and bite my damn lip while you go through this guy. Well, well, go ahead and 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 go ahead and move Gabe Davis at this point because uh, still Gabriel Davis. I, I understand what he did that playoff game where he looked legitimately. He was looking like Jerry Rice out there, but. This is this is a player, man. Outside of that game, th- there were a couple of flashing moments here and there, but he did absolutely nothing, man. You know, he, he did nothing. 35 receptions back-to-back seasons, receiving yards right around the same, 599, 549. Uh, receipt, like, it was an identical season. Like, he played all 16 games, 63 targets, 62 targets, 35 receptions, 35 receptions, 549, 599, six touchdowns, seven touchdowns. Like, I'm not getting the Gabe Davis explosion to where people are going out trading first-rounders for Gabe Davis, multiple picks. They're trading Michael Pittman in a first to get Gabe Davis. If if that's where his value is and that's what people want to pay – you can, the matter of fact, D bro, let me check the league that we're in together. Let me see if I've got some Gabe Davis and I'll send them to you for a first round pick. I don't give a shit if it's the one eleven. <laughs> you can take my Gabe Davis and I will take that first round rookie pick in 2022 and I will sleep like a baby, sound asleep. I, I, I just don't get it. I think he's a fine player, but what the hell are you expecting from him? What, what do you think he's going to be in Buffalo? You think he's going to be the number one, number two? I think there's just a good chance they draft another guy this year to pair with Stefan Diggs. Um, I, I like him. I think he's a fine player, but w- what is this upside we're seeing here with Gabe Davis? So, so am I going to give up first-round picks for Gabe Davis? And good Lord, if people are giving up Michael Pittman and plus for Gabe yes. Davis, yes, whew, that's... Even and I am a massive toe drag swag believer, and I like Gabe Davis. But this is also I'm coming from a point of reference where I drafted a bunch of Gabe Davis, I got a bunch of Gabe Davis, and maybe I move him, or I'm just holding tight right now. I'm not paying that kind of premium for him. That's for damn sure. Like I'm, I'm not doing that. Um, and no, sir, if you have Gabe Davis, I will happily hold my first. Thank you very much. Here, here, go, um, here goes, I'm not here, doing that, D bro. Here go a couple. Somebody traded, uh, trade. Listen to this one. Would you rather have Alvin Kamara 
this was three days ago, or Gabe Davis in a second. Someone traded away Kamara <laughs> to get Gabe Davis in a second. All right. Maybe, maybe benefit of the doubt. Maybe it was the 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 the, the arrest or whatever. They just were scared. Um here here I goes mean, one. Whew. Deshaun Watson or Gabe Davis in a second. Jeez, um, and I'm guessing like 20, that's Superflex guessing that, right? Like, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good that's a good guess right wow. there. Um, 2022 first, Gabe Davis. 2023 first, Gabe Davis. Uh, Zeke Elliott and Gabe Davis for T Higgins in a second. Uh, no, thank you. Apparently, um, I need to put Gabe Davis on the block. I'm I'm a little bit off of this. Like that's. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Gabe Davis 2023 first, another one of those. I mean that yes. If if you can get that for Gabe Davis This is this that's, is that's insane. all insanity. This is those, insane. those those are that that's that's those are crazy trades. Like that's well, crazy. This and is what I happens, and man. I love Gabe Davis, but that if you're getting that kind of return, oh, yeah, you should be putting him on the block yesterday. And here's my thing. Here's my my rule in Dynasty. You never count another man's pockets. You don't know what somebody else mm-hmm. is willing to pay for a player. So you put it out there. You dangle it out there. You see what they say. And if they're uh, if they're offering you any type of first-round picks for Gabe Davis, take it. So just a quick recap, uh, D-Bro, on our cells. Uh, we've got Dalvin Cook. We've got Cooper Cup. We've got Gabe Davis. You broke my heart with Brandon Ayuk. And we also have Jerry Judy. Common theme here. Uh, four wide receivers and a running back that we're trying to move off of um, in Dynasty. So, uh, Debro, any kind of last parting takeaways from for the buys and sells? Uh, we, we, we've got a lot more of these that we're going to do, but just to kick it off, episode two, any any final takeaways with any of these guys? Uh, apparently, I need to go be putting Gabe Davis on the yeah. block on every freaking league that I have him, and I got him a lot of places, man, but... Yeah. He's going on the block tonight. So if you're in any leagues yeah. with me, like yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll let your boy. <laughs> Throw Gabe Davis on the block. Uh, go get you some Travis Etienne. Go get you some Kadarius Tony. Go get you some Michael Carter. Go try to get some of these guys, man. While their value is still suppressed, while it's still low, while rookie fever is just sweeping over the fantasy football space. Uh, we appreciate you tapping into the show. Make sure you subscribe uh, to the podcast network. Make sure you go to ftnfantasy.com to check out all the content. Make sure you're following Derek on Twitter one more time at dbro underscore ffb. He's got content dropping daily, whether it's on the podcast, on the mic, on the paper. He's got shit dropping all the time. There's tons of dope content creators over at FTN Fantasy, and we got you locked and loaded, man. We're gonna we're gonna hit some rookies next week, so we're gonna start to take a look at some of these rookies. I don't know. We 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 might touch the running backs. We might go to the quarterback route. Anything you want to say to the people before we get out of here, D-Bro? I think you covered it, Ray. I mean, they got to get tapped in all the content at FTM. My dynasty ranks are live. And as well as, I mean, they, they need to be waking up. They got to be yeah. getting up out of bed early and tapping in with you and Jay Rich. Tuning yeah. in to wake up with Ray G every single day. What is it, Monday through Thursday now? Monday through Thursday, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Come tap in with us on the on the YouTube channel at Ray GQ. Uh, we appreciate it, man. Uh, please rate and review, subscribe to the podcast. Stay tapped into all the dope content we've got dropping at FTN Fantasy. But until next time, y'all be safe, be easy, and we out of this thing. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the FTN Fantasy Football Podcast with Ray and Derek. Make sure to follow your hosts on Twitter at RayGQ and dbro underscore ffb hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode
Racetrack gas pump thought number 348. Because waiting for your tank to fill up is the perfect time to think about whatever gets you going. What if lunch was never invented? Like who decided three meals a day was a standard and why just one lunch I want two? Then I could do pizza for one, chicken for the other, or combining them would be easier. And definitely add some Texas Pete wing sauce. You're on to something, Dave. Introducing Racetrack's Buffalo Chicken Pizza made with Texas Pete wing sauce. Try it for a limited time at participating locations. Racetrack, whatever gets you going. Am I a genius? Join Tubi in celebrating Black History Month with the largest free collection of black cinema streaming every day of the year, including exclusive Tubi originals, Howard High, and Pass the Mic. Tubi, watch free.